welcome to episode 113 of Zapped to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Mr. Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. We are using the magazine Zap 64 as a monthly guide for the games to focus on, but we are in no way affiliated with Zap 64 itself. This week, we start our look at February 1989 and the first batch of games reviewed in issue 46 of Zap 64, along with what was also going on in the UK singles chart that month. Graham, it's February, it's cold. Give us something to warm us up. In this great big squishy bun of an episode, we grab our pith helmets, you'll have to Google that one, and wipe beads of sweat from our foreheads as we slowly deep dive the ancient mysteries of an Egyptian pyramid in the sweaty, and probably a bit ploddy, total eclipse. We time travel back to when multiple paddles and a ping pong ball was less of a winky red room invitation and more of a video game series in the retro before retro, but still daft, blip video classics. And we dust off our geese, trim our toenails and cartwheel to the bright lights and horrible colours of an 8-bit city, getting ready to punch and kick the crap out of one another in the dubious sounding Exploding Fist Plus. Do you know, the last time I was in a bakery, I ended up with a jam ring and a cream horn. Hmm, was that a bakery? We also tie a thin red belt over our foreheads, grab our best stabby stabby knife and go on a rescue or kill everything style mission in the one and only Rambo 3, slip into a high-risk submarine and explore the bland depths of a crappy underwater spectrum conversion in the utterly mindless Ocean Conqueror before finally popping back to simpler shoot-em-up times and killing off some of those pesky fly-anywhere aliens in the unusual Gapless. It's a bit of a dusty collection this week. At least one of those games will make you feel parched and withered and one of them will definitely make you want to flush it down the toilet. You will know which and when, when the time comes. And that should do the trick then. (laughs) Absolutely. I'll rub three of those on my chest and hopefully uh, I'll 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 stay warm (laughs) till June. Yes, just pop a couple under your tongue and you should be right as rain by summer. (laughs) Dr. Raddings. (laughs) Next. That's your your rap name. (laughs) Well, it's not a very good one. I need it. Dr. Rad. It'd be Dr. Rad. That'll do. That'll do, yeah. Yeah, little Dr. Rad. (laughs) Dr. Rad in the house. (laughs) See, that's why it was never ever going to become a thing. (laughs) No. (laughs) Terrible, terrible. Um, Okay, yeah. Dr. Rad it is for now. Um, here we are, February, February, February. February. Yes, finally, mm. we made it to February. January was a bit of a slog. Come on, February, let's go. Let's go, February. I did actually let's say go. that. I thought February was a two month episode, two two episode month, by the way, but it's not. It's actually three. Oh, it's triple. It's a triple, triple, triple treat. Triple treat. Not had one for a while, but now we've got. Yeah, I've had them in ages. But yeah, it's just to keep our sanity and the number of games to a sort of manageable level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. A lot going on. So, but we've still got. So we've got six games this week. Six plus obviously singles. But before we get to any of them, before we get to any of that, it's start of a new month, Graham. It's time for the cover. There it is. There it is. It's right there. Amiga. It's a good cover, that. I really like that cover. Yeah, it's got a daring do Indiana Jonesy sort of vibe about it, hasn't it? Mummy Returns kind of vibe. Yeah, because this is for the game Total Eclipse, which is one of the it games. It is. I don't like the, the subtitle line there. I Have Ankle you know Travel. Yeah, Anks <laughs> for the memory, surely. Come on. <laughs> yeah, Anky, Anky very much. Anky Panky. That's also good. <laughs> Have yourself a good Ank. I don't know. <laughs> That's dubious. <laughs> I won't go down that route. <laughs> Have yourself a watery Tom Hank. 
<laughs> yeah, brought to you Tom by Ank. Tom Hank. They could have called him that, couldn't they? The star of that game. It's but Tom Hank. Yeah. Tom Ank. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Yeah, but so just I suppose we should really describe what we're on about because people are probably just thinking we're describing different ways to pleasure oneself. So yeah, so th- this is for the game. There's a guy on basically what looks like a collapsing bridge. He's got a gun and he's looking a bit fierce of teeth. Um, <laughs> he's he, looking like he's on the edge, isn't he? He's running away from a from a light. He's making his way into a sort of you know a darkened tomb by the looks of things with some ghostly green light coming yeah. from thing. But he's got a good sense of action and pace in his movement. I like it. I really like it. But it's one of it's mm. good Oliver cover this is is he does that it does movement really well yes. and catches them it's like just because it's yes. off the floor which is a good touch his back foot yeah absolutely absolutely no it's little things like that that sort of portray movement in a still image i think yeah he captures he, do, he always has though we've always said it very kinetic mm. um the angles are always quite you know jaunty as well and i'll tell you what he has mastered the fold hasn't he, on that? I mean, that is the creases and folds on that shirt and jeans combo. It's like perfection. It's like exactly right. It is, yeah. And, and also you've got the... Uh, really good stuff. E- Egyptian chin mummy in the background thing, in the bottom right there. <laughs> that's, just, that's just what they wore. That was their uh, beard guard. <laughs> Instead of right guard. <laughs> Nothing protects your beard like a tin. Um, you can do that yourself. Anytime you like, just get an empty bean tin, pop it on your chin. Protect your beard the easy way. Um, <laughs> I tell you what is really masterful in that is the lighting because that's hard to do to get the, the lighting because it's, yeah. it's a very it's a small source of light, bright light, which is a doorway obviously from the outside into the tomb. Then it's obviously like pouring in through that, but it's clever. It's the way it's illuminated everything. That's I imagine that's really hard to do. Yeah, you got the green light coming up from beneath, aren't you? To sort of. I mean, for a that. novice like yeah, exactly. For a novice like me, impossible. I don't know how he's done it. It's a mystery. But <laughs> I wouldn't even for be able a person to do that with of, a photo. You know, it, <laughs> Yeah, it's, that's true, actually. There's no way I could reproduce that either by drawing it or by... T- Even if I took a picture of that cover, it would, would look as good. It would. The crease it would somehow ruin it. Absolutely. It'd be smiling. He'd look happy. It would look like a tin of beans on his chin in the background. It would all go wrong. I think all the blue wrong. on the zap's gone a bit wrong, though, on there. I don't know what's, what's happened there. It's got the saturation on the blue's gone a bit wild, but other than that, it's all right. Maybe. There's also some of the games we look at. Neuromancer, Times of Law, right. Elite. I think that's the Amiga version, which we obviously yes. are looking at. Yeah. Has anyone ever described that as Firebird Space Trading Odyssey? Yes, now. On, this, on this cover. Yes. Um, I want to. I want to know though. What did you ever call the Zap Hotline? No, I didn't. I don't I didn't know. I don't, I'd, I'd like to have won that it. prize though. What an amazing MIDI system! Yes, everyone loved a MIDI system back in the eighties, late eighties. Goodness, that's true. Everyone well, had one of them. Every home had one. And I'm not quite sure the uh, the caption "The German Invasion" is a uh... no. It's a bit <laughs> off in it. They've gone text heavy again. Look at all the text. Goodness, just at least they've kept it all to that left. You know, it's not gone crazy across like they have done sometimes. Yeah, they have, they've got the left justifier. They're using it in that bloody thing, aren't they? It's like, right, yeah. that's it. Let's justify everything left. Yeah. We, we time travel to the future and someone was criticising our typography. Just justify everything left. <laughs> done with it. Because Well, obviously they've got space, haven't they? Because there's no tape. There's no tape yeah. this month. Yes. So there you go. There you go. Good cover. I like it. Nice and adventurous. Yes, daring do. it is. Boy's own. It's like a cover for yeah, some yeah. kind of um, yeah, boy's own comic from the sort of 50s, 60s. Yeah, good. I agree. War, it's, got war a good, it's got a good vibe. Good vibes. Good vibes. Good vibes. Yeah, there we go. So there's your cover. There you go. Let's move on. Should we get into some games? I think that's the plan. I think that is the plan. Right. Let's crack on and get into our first game. And Graham, it's over to you. I want to know, from my heart, can you tell me about Total Eclipse? <laughs> total Eclipse of the heart. <laughs> Just turn around, bright eyes. That's too um, smooth. 
That was too smooth a voice. <laughs> Total eclipse of the heart. <laughs> Total eclipse of the ass. Um, <laughs> that's the lesser known uh, Cleethorpe's club singer. Um, right, so Total Eclipse, £9.95, 94%. Shiny, shiny, shiny S. It's a silver medal, is it? Or a, what's it called? A Sizzler. Shocker, Sizzler. Sizzler. That's what it is. Smasher. Smasher. What does S stand for? Smasher? Super? Supersonic? What is it? Shocker. So this was published by Incentive Software and was programmed by Major Developments. That's not a rank of a person called Mr. Developments. That is actually a combination of these people, Chris Andrew and Ian Andrew, the Andrews, Sean Ellis and Paul Gregory. The cover artwork was by Steiner Lund. The additional artwork and design was by Peter Carter. Additional contributions were made by Kim Carpentier. I want to say Kim Carpenter, but it's not. It's Carpentier. Helen Andrew, Andy Tate, and Mary Moy. Good old Mary Moy. Good old Mary um, Moy. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. So music, of course, by Mr. Wally Bevan. So, Total Eclipse then. Wow. Okay, Freescape back, isn't it? Freescape's back in Freescape form, using <laughs> the Freescape engine to do Freescapey stuff. Yeah, yeah well, it's going to, yeah, it's, it's always slow. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll go through the background for this. Welcome to Egypt. That's how the uh, instructions oh, start. Thanks. Welcome to Egypt. It is written that in the heart of ancient Egypt, hundreds of years ago, the high priest of the day had become annoyed. I don't think they <laughs> used that word, but we'll go with it. <laughs> Egypt. <laughs> priest annoyed. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm unra. Annoyed. What fixes thee? <laughs> well, to be honest with you, I'm bloody annoyed. Uh, um, anyway, his people Quite were off. revolting. Seems a bit cruel. <laughs> no, sorry. His people were revolting. No easy way of saying that. And refused to continue the sacrifices to Ray, the god of sun. Ray? Ray? The god of sun. Ray. Um, Ray. Ain't got a date. What's, what's your name, son? Ray. Ain't got a date. And just to, for clarity, that's an Amazon women on the moon joke. His anger had erupted. So we wrote this. His anger had erupted. So he set an ominous curse as punishment to the people. A great pyramid was erected. And at the topmost chamber, a shrine was built for Ray, the sun god. The curse was set. Should anything ever block the sun's rays during daylight hours, it would be destroyed. Is this Ray spelled R-A, by the way? No, it's spelled R-E. R-E? Oh, because I always yes. thought the sun god was Ra. It is, but let's go with it. Okay, we're not breaching <laughs> anyone's IP here. <laughs> okay. Those ancient <laughs> Egyptians are very litigious. <laughs> litigious and very cursy. All right, let's not get... Let's <laughs> Absolutely. Go, they're quite no cursy bunch. That. No, exactly. You have Ra, we have Ray. <laughs> <laughs> you have the golden pyramid we have the pointy we have the pointy triangle <laughs> um it's, it's now the 26th of october 1930 and in just two hours the moon will totally eclipse the sun triggering the curse of ray causing the offending moon to explode showering the earth with colossal meteorites thus upsetting the ecological balance i think i'll do more than that um <laughs> not the not the earth's <laughs> axis yeah, massive devastating floods and, and just basically the end of the planet yeah just upsetting the ecological ecological balance just sounds like it might be, be a bit hotter in spain one month or something. <laughs> there'll be less koalas <laughs> nobody would never know though would they with the koalas well they're all huggy very huggy uh, and it will plunge civilization to a dark age of starvation and conflict. I don't think there'd be starvation and conflict don't tend no, to go together. There would be no civilization. We'd all be dead. Yeah, if we'd the moon dead. goes, we're dead. <laughs> exactly. So then in that, with that bombshell, your mission, it is eight o'clock. You have just landed your biplane next to the Great Pyramid. <laughs> just a word of advice, don't do that. That really gets like the tourism <laughs> board mad if you just start landing planes around their oh, ancient oh, moments. Is it a runway? Oh, oh, <laughs> come land at the airport, you idiot. What are you doing here? 
Say <laughs> I'm just I'm just because it's because it's, it's an eclipse. It's an eclipse coming. Look, I don't care what travel company you with. Clear off. <laughs> anyway, uh, get to get get out. Yeah, take your two plane and your easy jet and bugger off. Anyway, your mission is to reach and destroy the shrine of the sun god Ray, which is located at the apex of the apex of the pyramid. Just say the top. You don't have to go for all this fancy language. It's lingo. The top. Treasure, collect as much as possible. You're going to be rich. I feel a little bit like that goal maybe isn't a jump to the whole end of the world thing. You're only going to be rich if you actually you know, save the world. That's kind of the yeah. more important thing, isn't it? I got all this treasure. It made me dead heavy and I didn't get up there. Oh, <laughs> there's a moral to this story. I wonder so what anyway, it was. Um, and so there's a little bit of a little bit of additional blurb here. Um, I, do I want to go through all of this blurb? Really, it's not loads of it, I suppose. It just it's just it's it's a little bit of dialogue around the um, like a diary. It says uh, 26th of October 1930, Egypt. After a three day journey involving most methods of transport one can think of, and a few one probably would not like to. Stupid. I arrived at Ankara village. Base hopper, pogo stick. <laughs> I told you we don't want to think about them. <laughs> Monocycle. <laughs> Um, it was a fairly typical North African town with Back a dirt, dry, <laughs> with dry, dirty streets, square whitewashed houses, and stone well in the main square. Okay, we've just lit the uh, stereotypical village handbook yeah. there. And, yeah, this is not this is not a very good tourism guide. I jumped clumsily down from my taxi, avoid doing that, and paid the camel driver his money. All right, doing a quick calculation in my head, I guess so. I came up with the same answer as when I started the journey: five shillings and a sixpence for a six-mile camel ride. Five shillings and sixpence it is, governor. What? <laughs> Could change for a hundred. <laughs> Get out. Why would he be paying in shillings in Egypt? Just relax. Deep breaths. <laughs> Captive markets such as helpless English archaeologists obviously lend themselves to exploitation by the locals. Oh, well, at least I had learned the knack of getting off a camel without landing on my head, and that probably lowered the price by sixpence or so. He didn't understand a word you were saying. They don't have sixpences. He was just looking at you going, pay me with my currency. And he was probably saying that in Egyptian. Probably. And I don't know what the Egyptian is for that. And I apologize for anyone that, you know, I've, I've even succumbed to the stereotype myself there a little bit. Anyway, the driver unstrapped my cases, cases, and let them drop to the ground. Without any ado, he spurred his camel. Or did he spear it? Turned about and was gone, leaving me looking rather lost in a low, slowly setting cloud of dust. I retrieved my cases and set off in search of somewhere to stay. It took me 20 minutes to find the only inn in the village. 20 minutes? A small sandstone building like all the others with two bedrooms, a hole in the ground for a latrine, and enough insect life to set the whole English population scratching themselves. One of these was the owner. That's weird. An insect owned an inn. <laughs> yeah, that's badly written. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, you've mixed up your, uh, who you're yeah. talking about there. Uh, who, quinting into the sun. I'm guessing squinting into the sun. Because he's got multiple eyes. Because <laughs> he's an insect. He says, I could just make out the tiniest sliver of crescent moon, which would soon eclipse the sun. All the other exploration work I conducted had been very much smaller than this and took months of painstaking effort, research, and training. It was too big. I could never make it in time. The shrine, that tiny, had identified was right at the apex. And here we go again. Just say it's at the bloody top. <laughs> the top of the pyramid. Skirting the base of the pyramid, or as we like to call it, the lower levels. I don't know. I saw the door in the antechamber. Da, 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 da. That's it. That's all you get. That's all you get. In. That's it. All right. That's okay. It. So, so there's, there's like, other than that and the instructions, you've got like... Um, some pictures, some images, some hints, stuff like that. I'm gonna uh, now that's basically setting the scene of what this is about. Now, I, I don't actually mind the scene setting for this, and I'll sort of explain why. But I just wanted to go through that. It's a game set in Egypt. Two hours to go. You've got to get to the apex of the pyramid to stop the whatever happening, um, or it's uh, ecological disasters, or, or as we know it, disaster. You know, doom, doom and death, always mm -hmm. the same. 
So this is the, again, so this is the Freescape engine. And once again, it's been used to create an immersive 3D experience, this time in yellow and brown in the world of ancient Egypt. I think there was a lot of yellow and brown, maybe green in this one, but I don't Anyway, it's those colors. Oh, so it's the yeah. world of ancient Egypt and total eclipse. How you react to this game, I think, depends very much on how much you can tolerate the 3D engine and its speed on the C64. We've said it a million times before. I'm just getting it out there now. So you'll either have been someone that could tolerate it or someone that does not. So I think that's I think that's the camps you have with these games. Yep. Cuz cuz that's the kind of feedback we've got through doing the other two reviews. We've had people some people going, "Yeah, well, you know what? You just got to go with it. You know, they're slow and they're meant to be and it's all well and the other people are like, "No, they totally ruins the experience." Mainly me saying that actually, to be fair, but anyway. <laughs> and me. <laughs> But, okay, so you're either one, you're in one camp or the other. Okay, fair enough. We're just getting out there. There is a nice idea in mythos in this game, I have to say. And I think that's the Egyptian part of it. And I think it does appeal to me. And I think it just generally is a little bit that mysticism that you can wrap around the Egyptian things, you know, with it being ancient Egypt and things. I think that lends this game a little bit of gravitas, which perhaps the others didn't quite have. And so I'm setting that in sort of in the, that's the, no, the first part of the pyramid in stone, if you like. That's the map. So perhaps more than the previous games, this one feels a little bit more akin to the goals of the Freescape type idea. Um, so it's less flying about, I think. There's a bit, in the previous one, that we, we, I think we took off at one point. We had a rocket pack or something stupid. Mm-hmm. And stuff yeah, like yeah. That. So there's less flying about in this. This is more boots on the ground. In fact, really, this is probably more akin to a first-person style type game, which is, I think was the goal. I mean, yes, it's very slow, but it's still a first-person type game. So exploring, solving puzzles, reaching a goal, doing a thing in a time, time limit and all of that. And I think that is tr- probably the, the better trope of first-person shooters th- that would become um, that's come out of these freescape games in totality. I mean, Driller had its sort of moments, but Driller was, I think, I don't know, Driller suffered from first gamism. We're now three, three games in, and I think actually out of the three, I, I would argue this has probably got the most legs because of the nature of the theme that they've wrapped it in. It's, it's a little bit less future-facing and a little bit more historic exploration, and I think it works better because of that context. I think the graphics are suitably ancient Egypt done in 3D, so... Giant slabs of brown and yellow is, is kind of in the order of the day, um, but it's you know. But I think that's, that's it. if you're going to do a game about a des- desert, you know, a desert-looking place like Egypt and ancient Egypt, well, you're going to get away with a bit of brown and yellow, aren't you? And, and it's set in an eclipse, so tonally, it's sort of you've got the right color palette on the C64 for a game like that. No question, is there? So I think it has a nice look and feel, and it has a nice theme. And I'm not taking the engine speed and everything out just for a minute, just the, sort of the, the context of it all. At the top of the screen itself is your treasure tally. The current eclipse status, obviously shown as a little graphic of the you know, the moon going in front of the sun, and the number of ankhs you've collected, because you've got to do that, and I'll explain what that means in a minute. The main window is encased in a nice sort of scroll-type graphic either side, and the game window is the middle of that, so it's in the sort of centre middle. Not for full screen, because Lord knows it's already slow enough, right? But it's a window into that world, and it's sort of a smaller window. Below that, there are large, I would say perhaps over-large icons, representing your time, water, health, and direction that's in the form of a compass, of course. And just above that, there is a line of mini icons, arguably a little too small, one might say, <laughs> giving the temperature, elevation, weapon and out, and the name of the chamber, that kind of thing. It's all in keeping, though, in the style of Egypt in the game, so it The UI, as much as it's a little bit obtuse, it does kind of fit. And it's all pushed along. The whole game is pushed along by a really lovely Wally Beban soundtrack. Another one of his big epics, but it has a really good hypnotic, deserty Egyptian feel to it. So it's like kind of, you know, that case, it's it's got a good vibe. I think um, because this game has a two hour window, there is kind of an um, exigency about it. 
that isn't in the other free skate games. And I, I like that. There's no escaping the kind of plod, 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 plod of the 3D. In fact, that's actually, my plodding was way too fast. There's, there's no escaping the plod, plod, plod of the 3D, <laughs> is there? No, there is not. Which, which I even found a bind when I speeded the CPU up to 400%. But then again, I'm just not tolerant of these kind of games. I still find that jerky 3D is a bit of an adjunct. The way the game plays out is actually like the other games. So you have a, from your first person view, you navigate around the space. There are a number of different things, doors to open, things to do, things that move other things, things to pick up. And the idea is that you, as you wander around, you'll pick up treasure, but you'll also find and navigate your way through to the apex of the pyramid. But in order to do that, and on route, you've got to find the, I think, five anks, which are part of the, the way to stop the, 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 some Ray from, uh, from having any troubles with his girlfriend or something mm-hmm. like that. So I, think, I actually think there's a good game in here. And I think that's because it's the right idea for this kind of thing. Now, I don't know that it's 94% of a good idea, but there's a nice sort of heat and tone and sentiment. It feels like a game set in that space. And I like that. And I thought that the layout and the puzzles were a little bit more thought out than they were in some of the other games. There was cheap shots in the previous games. Driller was a little bit vague and the whole idea of drilling and doing all of that, it's not a bad idea in and of itself, but just didn't quite work. With Darkseid, it was more, they just threw too much in there and then controls that made the game pointless, like being able to take off in a jetpack and do all that stuff. It didn't quite work. This one, I think they've got the kind of the, the layout and the theme and the puzzles, right? And of course you can save and reload in this as well. Um, and I think you could do that in the others, but it's still, it's, it's nice that you can do that. And so I think for £10, this game is quite a challenge. Yes, it's obviously you've got to either like slow games or you don't. No way around that. But for £10, I think there's a lot of good, there's a lot of good thought gone into the game this time and a lot of good thematic thinking. And that whole tying it into the Egypt thing, I thought made this game just stand out a little more of the kind of way that Freescape probably should have gone all along, really, down that road. So I didn't dislike this at all. In fact, I can see why people would enjoy this one out of them, especially with it having that two-hour window. I'm not one of them, though. I don't like this game. I mean, I don't dislike it, but I would never go out of my way to play any of these games, and I certainly don't. I wouldn't go out of my way to play this one. It's just my favourite out of the three games I don't like. But I can see why people might enjoy it. It's a personal block for me with these things, with this, Driller and Darkseid. I just think, I don't know, I think this is perhaps more like I imagined what a game like this would be when I was when, when they first started talking about the Freescape stuff I and they pitched it all of these games where you could go exploring and do all this stuff. This was the kind of game I sort of formulated in my mind, the, the, the sort of Total Eclipse type idea. It didn't go down the driller route. So I think this one's just thematically a little bit more interesting and that maybe the Egyptian theming maybe appealed to me a little bit more. I still don't particularly like any of them. But if I was going to play any of the three, it would probably be this one. Interestingly, just as a final note, I find myself thinking back to Scarabaeus when I was playing this because mm-hmm. that captured a nice feel too. Now that was, you know, that was faster and that was a different kind of game. And that was, you know, but that, I, I, I think it's something about the vibes of that kind of mystery of going into a pyramid and doing something like that because the Scarabaeus was, was, you know, fairly simple in its ideas, but that, that also had that kind of nice vibe. I just think there's perhaps there's something special about ancient Egypt as a source for this kind of gaming material because loads of games have explored it, loads of them, loads of movies too. Mm. Um, so does it have solid gaming appeal? I think if you like these engine games, these free skating games, you're going to dig it. This is probably my favourite of the three. That's not saying much because I don't really like any of them. But if I was going to play one, this is the one. And I think because it's got that kind of theme in. Other than that, I don't think it deserved. I personally wouldn't have given it 94%. I think in a sizzler, I think that's a bit, bit rich for a game that is essentially... You know, an engine-based game, similar to the others. But I'm just one guy. You know, I don't you know. I don't. I don't know everything there is to know about these things. What, what did you make of uh, Total Eclipse in the end of it all? 
I'm kind of in the same boat. I, I just I couldn't I can't get along with it. It's just I, and I put despite the more interesting setting than either Driller or Dark Side, it is more interesting. Yeah. It's a more engaging thing that the, the you know that kind of exploring ancient tombs. It's the Indiana Jones style thing, which is mm. more interesting. I mean, games like Tomb Raid, the Tomb Raider series, and all those kind of things. You're Uncharted. They all yeah. sort of they all sort of trade on this exploring the ancient sort of ruins of you know lost civilizations and temples and all yeah, that. Yeah. So, so we see the trappings of that those in this. Yeah. Um, and and like you, I mean, I understand the technical side of things here. And, you know, unlike the previous two, I appreciate what they man- actually managed to get working on a one megahertz machine. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's and which was p- clearly designed. It wasn't purpose for three D of any kind. The C sixty four. You know, it was a, it was a hardware really. sprite arcade thing. It was a it was based on a two D game. That's what it was. So you know, fair play, whatever. Um, but it's just like you. The slowness has always been just a massive turn off for me. It just takes too long to try and figure anything out or get anywhere and just plod, like you said, plod, plod, plod. If you dig these kind of things, yeah, it's going to rock your ank, but it's not for me. Um, <laughs> did you say rock your ank? I did. <laughs> I did. That's See, exactly that should have been on the cover for Zap. Why didn't they put that on the cover? Yeah, like rock that. your ank. I just find them too impenetrable to get into. This is a bit has a bit more of an in because I think it has a bit more of a recognisable setting, but it's still got the same problem. It's good music, though, like you said. It's not a patch on Drillers for me, as I think you probably you probably guessed. But uh, and maybe if I had a... I, I kind of like the tune, but I just wanted it to be a bit more... I don't know. I could just... I don't know. I just wanted it to be a bit more, I think. It's a kind of a... Like you said, doop, 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 doop. it just kind of goes along like that and never... It's, I don't know. I wanted something a bit more... With a bit more, maybe. I don't know. It's not for me, though, this. They never are. They, they never were. I tried to... I, you know, I played them back in the day. I played them all... I had a go at them. I wanted to like them because there was this kind of ooh, technological marvel. Look, 3D, and it's like, yeah, it, it, it is. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's it's one one second frame or whatever or less. Yeah, it's pretty chuggy, isn't it? And that's just never great. So uh, appreciate the you know appreciate the uh, what they were going for and what they managed to achieve, but the game's never been for me. So just like you, really. And but like yeah. you said, if I had to pick one, it would be this one to play because of the yeah. thematic setting. So yeah. yeah, I agree. So there you go. It's a, a more of a not quite a total eclipse of the ass and not quite a total eclipse of the heart. <laughs> Somewhere in the middle, total eclipse of the lower back. <laughs> Maybe we'll just leave it there. <laughs> so there you go, it's total eclipse. Let's move on to our next one. And our next one is Blip Video Classics. <laughs> okay, this is two quid. Um, two pound pong, Graham Pong. Everyone knows it. It is yes, some would argue I'm familiar origi- with it. Yeah, it is some would argue the originator of modern video games. Some, some would not say. me though. Not me. I'm a tennis for two man all day long. <laughs> no, yes, not really. absolutely. Not, not ready, Pong. 1972, Andy Capps Tavern. It's a tale that is now over 50 years old. Weird, that isn't it? 50 years, 51 yeah, years. Goodness me, Pong. The eternal story of two bats facing each other, but they are one. <laughs> or something. Conan the Pongbarian. <laughs> Pong the Barbarian. Anyway, Pong. Uh, <laughs> by this point in video game history, 16 years old in the arcades, clearly, you know, by the time this is released. Ancient. And Yeah, and it was the first game to really light up home TV screens and start the video game craze. Don't give me any of your Magnavox Odyssey nonsense. Uh, this, you know, <laughs> it, it was Pong and, and everything that came from there. Uh, and, oh, no, and don't give me computer space or whatever the hell that was. It's Pong. We know it was. You yeah, know, yeah. Uh, video game craze that would enslave our minds and lead us all to have such much emptier bank accounts than we could have. I wonder what my... my, my I'd be well rich. 
<laughs> if like video games didn't exist. <laughs> yeah, you'd have been uh, setting fire to tenors to uh, get your fire going. <laughs> Absolutely. Just, you know, but I'm not. So there you go. Yes, Pong. Uh, it seems, and so it seems that Silverbird, home of all things quality, have decided that now, well, 1989, is time for the Pong revival. Mm. But instead of Pong, we'll call it Blip, because that was the sound it used to make. Stupid. Blip, blip, blip. And so we have Blip video classics. The creators of this were Jason Daniels and Tom Lanigan, who between them did the code visuals and music. So there we go. And what we have here are six variants of Pong, sorry, Blip. We have tennis, football, squash, solo squash, Four bat blip and astabliparoids, which sounds like a really painful medical condition that needs lots of cream and a glove with one finger. <laughs> Nobody wants the one fingered glove. <laughs> Nobody. Oh, got a right case of the astabliparoids. <laughs> <laughs> you want to get some bloody cream on that. <laughs> yeah. The title screen lets us choose between these by moving the joystick up and down really slowly. And oh, quite, uh, quite so non-responsively, uh, and we can play one or two players by moving the joystick left or right. Again, quite slowly. Just, just flick. I don't know why. Uh, the, obviously, just the, when you press the number, just go straight to it. That's what it alludes to. It does. Yes. <laughs> With your game selected, the fire button launches it. The title screen itself is a bit bland. That cannot be said for the very loud music that accompanies it. It's a oh, cacophonal God, music. <laughs> it's a cacophonal blast. Now, I don't think cacophonal is a word, but I'm using it here because it feels like the right right word that needs yeah, to I'd it, agree. describes it. It's full of beats and drums and mad solos, and none of it really hangs together. It's no, just it like does not. it's 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 um it's Homer's web page of music. <laughs> it bloody well is, isn't it? Ugh. It's just everything, everything that's wrong Horrible. put together. It's a bizarre thing and does not fit the game in any way, shape, or form. It's very strange. But, and it's like five minutes long or something. It goes on for ages. But there is music there. So anyway, but once into any of the games, and um, then I hope you like the first few bars of that title screen tune, as that's all you're going to hear a lot. Just the first few, uh, first few bars over and over and over and over again. The tune that's a few bars that will drill itself into your ears and won't leave. Constant, never-ending, and it absolutely will not stop. Um, <laughs> and it's the same for all the games, as are the visuals mostly, which have decided to tart themselves up with some minteresque moving backgrounds, which make your eyes go funny after a while. Don't so, adjust. Yeah. Anyway, tennis, the first one. This is Pong, except you can move your bats left and right now, as well as up and down. Okay. But the aim is essentially the same, except you play to a time limit rather than a score. So, uh, whatever. Football is the next one, and you control two bats, <laughs> and the one in the middle can move left or right, and you have a smaller goal to get the ball in. But essentially, more Pong with an extra bat. Then mm-hmm. squash. Both bats are on the right, but you must bounce it back off the left-hand wall. There's a time limit again here. Then solo squash. It's squash on your own. What's the point of that? <laughs> What is the point of this? I have no idea. There is idea. no point. Beat yourself. <laughs> what, what? What's better than two bats? One. No. Stupid. How about three? Four? No, one. Play your own. One bat. Oh. Then there's four bat blip, where you have a bat on the side and one on the top, and you move these independently to try and keep the ball in. And the single original idea, uh, but probably not, and it reminds me of, uh, sorry, that is the single original idea, but I don't think it is, and it reminds me of Traz as you had that in yeah. some of the modes in Traz, so they just nicked it from there. And finally, there's Astabliparoids. It's Pong, but there are asteroids in the middle as you play it in space, and the ball bounces off at them if it hits them. That's right. And that's it. Six variants of Pong for two quid. My first console, a Binotone, had more variants than this and was not as annoying to look at or to listen to. This feels like a very redundant release. And on top of that, there's a musical score that will make your ears bleed, visuals that are nothing special, and solo squash. 
which is one of the most pointless things I've ever had to play. I don't get the point of this. When Arcade Classics was released, they had four games. Was it Space Invaders, Asteroids, Snake? Snake. And, and what was the other one? There was another weird one, wasn't there? But Centipede, four- was it? My, it could have, it was something rather. It was something too, it was another weird one. But it had four mm. different games, that, and 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 that sort of that Rob Hubbard rock piece of music was kind of hard back to the seventies when the games were out. It was kind mm. of a sort of feel to like you're going into an arcade because that was the music and stuff. This has none of that. It's got variants of Pong, and who wanted that in 1989? I mean, no the Zap review gave this 15. percent They hated it because by this point retro wasn't a thing. So no. the whole point of retro has come about as we've got further on, and technology can make us look back at that. So that's kind of thing. Back then. Going back to play Pong, just I, nobody, it was all move forward, move forward, move forward. It wasn't a thing. Yes, just, it was. You know, it, rubbish. I just don't get it. I didn't like this. The visuals were ugly. The, the U, there's no UI. It's just a timer. It's just crap. Ah, oh, no, I didn't, it, oh, I didn't like this at all and I don't want to talk about it anymore. Rubbish. Pointless, <laughs> utter rubbish. What did you think? Oh, it was dreadful. What a dreadful thing. I mean, it didn't fill me full of hope when the bloody text from the cra- people that cracked it said, this game turned your C64 into a ZX81. I was like, oh, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> the music is the worst thing I've heard on the 64 in ages. Goodness me, what? A repetitive, boring series of clumps that resemble musical notes in some description. It's not like a C64 composer was thrown down some stairs. <laughs> I don't know. The six game variants, utterly crap. Weird mishmashes of Pong variants that nobody wanted, asked for, or would have enjoyed anyway. If this was going to be a thing, Atari would have made it into a thing when they invented Pong. The reason they didn't do this is because the ideas are stupid. (laughs) Nobody wants to play solo Pong. That is the most depressing thing I think I've ever seen. And I've seen some depressing stuff with video games, you know, having taught video game design for a while. Sometimes you see some horror show games and you think, God, that's so bad. And then then you're reminded that, you know, this was actually put out for people to buy. Goodness me. I mean, for a while I thought to myself, did they, is this like a breakout game where they just forgot to put the bricks in? Yeah, wouldn't surprise it's me. Like, in fact, it's out. It's outbreak. So somebody was like, <laughs> it's, it's like, someone, do we need a breakout game? And all they heard was the word out and break. So they took the bricks out. Oh, okay. Uh, just stupid. <laughs> Where's the brick? Colour schemes are seizure inducing in this, aren't they? It's like just mm-hmm. the background's animating in one way and the bats go in the other and the ball go in. It's overwhelming. Nobody, want, nobody wanted it. Nobody wanted it. No one. So blip. Well, unfortunately, that's exactly what this is. It's a blip. It's a stain. It's just horrible. Two pounds. Thank God it's cheap. I thought this was awful. Absolutely awful. Just, uh, uh, that sound. I'm not going to, it took me a while to get rid of that sound. It's like watching a really horrible horror movie. It just didn't leave me for a while. It wouldn't go away. I had to, you know, get the equivalent of some kind of mouthwash and rinse my ears with it. Horrible, horrible thing. Worst thing I've seen in ages on the 64, that that blip. Awful. And I thought, you know, we'd seen some horror already in January. Yep. But there comes February and goes, hey, <laughs> hey there, hey. <laughs> Do you remember that game that we saw in January? <laughs> Howdy Fufkin, follow me records. <laughs> follow me records. Howdy Fufkin, follow me records. Yeah, this is, this is uh, Howdy Fufkin. So um, sad, 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 but not very yeah. good. Good, good. No, go away. 15%'s high. Give it what it deserves. One. Yeah. Blip said that Rubbish. we were still we were still booing our Torah when this, we started playing this. Our Torah, that was. You, know, you think you play our Torah and you think nothing could be worse than this, <laughs> and then someone someone makes a game called Blip, and it is. Wow, it takes a talent. That okay. Two people. Yeah. There we go. Sorry if you made it, but it was awful. Crap. Um. Yeah. Let's move on. Let's talk no more about Blip. It is just a blip. So our last one this half. Uh, half. No, this. 
part. Graham, it's time to return to that that most explosive of appendages. It is Exploding Fist Plus, or just Fist Plus. Fist Plus Plus? Yeah. Fist Plus? <laughs> Two Fist? Fist Plus, plus Fist Plus. I know. Do you know what? Fist Plus sounds like something that you'd see on a sex toy advert. <laughs> it's like, or on somebody's, somebody's um, OnlyFans. Fisto CV. Isn't it? So, you know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what what do they do? Fist Plus. Well, I'll have a bit of that. So it's the sort of thing you'd see on the side of a dirty video box. It's not good, that. Um, so I'm not sure, I'm not sure how I was fully enticed by the title. Where did the exploding fist, you know, city or something? I don't know. No, it's not. Just not. Don't stick Plus on the end because IK Plus did it. This is from published by Firebird, but it's still copyrighted Beam software. It was Beam, Beam what made it, and the musicians, Neil Brennan. It's the same people that did mm, yeah, the Exploding Fist and Fist 2 and, and Fighting Warrior um, and stuff like that. The aim of this game, um, it's a combat game with the worst title screen I've seen in ages, but we'll come to that. The aim of the game, you must, you know, you've got to fight your way through, you know, multi, multi levels of people. That's kind of the game. It's a fighting game. And there's a novelty to this one, of course. So I suppose one, one way of looking at this is it it's in the kind of better late than never sort of category, I suppose. But do we, you know, it's Fist Plus, Exploding Fist. It's from Firebird. But did we need this? <laughs> did we need this game? So it's certainly no. from the same people. They also, by the way, and there's an interesting thing for you. They also made Horace and the Spiders um, oh, wow. on the okay. spec. And they made Horace Go Ski on the Spectrum, which, of course, gave us the phrase, sorry, no money, no ski, which I've got on a T-shirt. So that's interesting, isn't it? Anyway. <laughs> I've never heard that phrase. You've never heard of Sorry No Money No Ski from Horace Go Skiing? No. Oh, dear me. Get on an emulator. It's on the specy version now. No. Anyway, this is leaning heavily on the IK Plus idea, obviously. It all feels a little bit Golden Arcs versus the Golden Arches, though. <laughs> um, but here we go. <laughs> we go. Let's just go with it. This is a one-player or two-player game with a third-player CPU-controlled option, as we all see in IK Plus. You have a range of moves, some of which come from the original Way of the Exploding Fist, some of which don't. You can cartwheel and back elbow in this one. Karate is not known for its back elbow. Um, <laughs> cheeky back elbow. It's cheeky back elbow. The, the backdrop for the fighting sections is the lights and dazzle of the city. I think it's meant to be Times Square. I think so, yeah. Sort of. Top to bottom, you have the fighter hit indicators, which are similar to YK Plus and have and a time countdown. All Commodore font, though, which makes this feel instantly cheaper than it should. The game is played out at the bottom of the screen with where the exploding fist size characters, white in white, red, and green. The round starts and you duke it out until you either win with enough knockouts or your time runs out. As long as you have enough hits to keep you in the game, you'll get to the next stage, just like IK+. In between these fights, there is a weird hopping ninja part <laughs> where you throw shuriken stars at a protein ninja. They get too close, the bonus stage is over, and it's onward to the next fight. I don't know what to make of that bit. It's really weird. And they don't even, they're not even that close to you before it kills you, which is weird. I thought they'd be really close up, but it reminded me of that ninja game on the uh, Wii, Wii U, you know, the one where you've got... It's actually, ninjas. it's it's um, it's the second stage of Shinobi. Oh, right. That's what they've ripped off. It's, 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 like that. it's exactly the second stage of Shinobi. Okay. So the speed of the fight is pretty fast, I guess, and it gets a lot faster too. So you've got to keep your wits about you as you pull off the moves. They feel less intuitive than IK+. Plus. That's a big problem for me with this. That could be because of how much IK Plus I'd played, uh, but the whole thing still has a weird cheapness to it. The frames of animation seem skippy. The background animations are jumpy and the graphics are pretty ropey all in all. The female character that details your scores is some kind of ring-sized sort of ring girl type thing. Really doesn't work. It was much better when it was like a little Mr. Miyagi type judge. Makes more sense contextually for a game like this instead of it turning into this weird thing. And the music's really horrible. Really horrible. Shut up. 
<laughs> Give me Oriental music or don't bother. None of this. I'll get Matt Gray in. He does good city type, you know, thunderously thumpy music. Get him in. If you're gonna rip if you're gonna rip IK Plus off, you may as well get, you know, get get Matt Gray instead of Rob Hubbard and do it the old fashioned way. No, but they didn't, did they? No. There's not a lot more to this, really. It's fight, win, kill ninjas, repeat until beaten. And which, to be fair, is how I've lived my entire life. Hoi! <laughs> no, not really. No, it wouldn't be that noise. It'd be, ah! Oh! <laughs> oh, and there's the sounds. The fighting sounds aren't great. Short samples, even by the, ty- even by the, uh, by the idea of short samples, these are like, meh, meh. It's very, <laughs> that stop was too long. Anyway, horrible. You need to get to skill of a 10, which I imagine is pretty fast and so probably quite difficult to do. I lasted quite a while on this, but was beaten more by my own cack-handedness than anything else. But there you go. I think the key issues with this game are, number one, it's late to the party. And IK Plus has kind of got the drop in it massively. So it's just, it looks like an also-ran. Number two, it's not as visually appealing as IK Plus in any way. Nope. So n- nor is it released on, I think, any of the, was it any other other platforms? Or was it only on two? It's on, the, it's on the Spectrum. So I mean, so it's only on the, the two platforms, Spectrum. Which has an but, even funnier title screen than the C64 one. Oh God, I can right imagine it. And three, it doesn't have the feel of IK Plus, doesn't. I, can, I mean, I can't completely put my finger on what it is about this that makes it feel so cheap. Certainly the backgrounds are not very well realised. The colours are odd and the controls are off. It lacks polish. The sounds, well, eh, eh, horrible short blasted samples that don't feel like anything. And the music is just, well, it's not Rob Hubbard, is it? Doing a fancy remix of one of his own scores. It's just, I don't even know how you describe that music, really. It's like kind of audio version of Kellogg's Special K. Mm-hmm. Um, so very bland and, and, you know, not very good. The game just needs polish and it's a polish it doesn't have. The fact that you've got Commodore font in there, the fact that the backgrounds are badly animated and jerky, the fact that the colours are horrible, it doesn't do any of this any justice. And a game like this needs polish. If you are going to compete and go toe-to-toe with IK+, you have got to up your game. You can't go in half-heartedly, which is exactly what they did, and they just know that they're cashing in on enough of the fist gaming stuff that people will buy it because it's an exploding fist game. So I think it got to the, oh, that'll do phase of the game development and then it just got released i suppose it's a curiosity maybe you'll get fun from it a little bit i played it for a little while i'd assume i would have always gone back to ik plus and once i got an amiga well i would never look back ik plus is the game on there isn't it mm-hmm. um i just don't see what was done here that hadn't already been done in ik plus but better this feels like a backward step maybe a backward cartwheel i don't know but it wasn't very enjoyable and a tragic end to what began as one of the great fighting games of all time on these systems. Such a tragedy. It's, it's bizarre to me that it ended the way that it did with this this garbage. And Tournament, I hate to say it, but I'm, I, I actually prefer to play Fist Tournament rather than this. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so 68% it scored in Zap. I think that was generous for this. I wouldn't have given it that. I think that's legacy scoring. I'd have given this 30% fighting warrior style grading for me because it is a bit inane and pointless and it's just not very good. But what about you? Yeah. I mean, just to sort of say that IK Plus used the Commodore font as well, but the top, the way they've done the top, I've got two screenshots open here of um, IK Plus and Fist Plus. They've, all they've done is just moved the energy of the um, green guy over to the right. That's all they've done. It's exactly the same layout as the IK Plus, that top mm. sort of top UI bit. It's even demo level one, everything's exactly even it's exactly the same. Crazy how close that is. It's not very good, is it? Um, I don't understand what the point of this is. We've no. got IK Plus, which is just smoother and better in just yep. about every respect. And like I said, even the mid-stage Ninja Shuriken bit is just nicked from Shinobi. So yeah, mm, that's I'm what not it very is. good. Uh, yeah, but it's just not as good as Shin- the Shinobi one. Um, I remember playing that on the. Uh, my friend had a master system. I'm playing it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The action itself is not smooth either. My version, and 
was sort of during the fighting was slowing down and speeding up. Sometimes it was running fast and sometimes it wasn't, yeah. wasn't changing. So the frame rate was all over the place, which makes pulling moves off with any kind of reliability harder than it needed to be because the response wasn't constant. I never, ever no. found that in IK Plus. On any version, it's always been a solid frame rate. The sound effects are badly dated now as well, and the background is not particularly great either. I'll give them credit for this being the only knockoff of IK Plus with three fighters on screen. We mm -hmm. weren't exactly awash in those kind of things. Lots of one-on-ones, but not many, you know, three fighters at once. So fair enough. I, I guess actually pulling something like this off isn't easy. And so, okay, like we said with uh, Total Eclipse, fair enough on some of the technical stuff, because I imagine it's not easy. Archie McLean just made it look effortless, though, didn't he? Um, but why would anyone play this when IK Plus came out? two years prior to this and he's just far better why exactly and i th think when it came out it was cheaper as well wasn't it uh, but i don't know yeah it was yeah it was um it's just as, as you rightly said and as i've noted here it's just a sad end for the fist franchise i mean fist yeah. fist 2 weren't great but it had ambition fist, yeah, you know, fist 2 had ambition and wanted to do something different it was metroidvania-ish and kind of a bit strange it was a bit broken and buggy and mm. a bit boring but it had ambition to do something else. This is just IK+. So what had become what was the sort of trendsetter, what was the original, and IK then ripped off, we've now got full franchise where IK plus did one. Now this is ripping off IK plus. It's a you know rather than sort of treading its own route, it's just a pointless release. I don't know why they did it. Who needed one of these? Who needed it? No, exactly. And do you know what? Thinking about it, because did you find the moves hard to do in repetition? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I, I was trying to, I couldn't figure out why. I, could, I just couldn't remember them. And I think they're not in the not all in the same place that the way exploding fist moves were. It just I no. found I think I fact in reality I think I was trying to do IK plus moves on it and that was just it was going wrong. But they, but that shows you how unintuitive the moves are in this compared to IK plus. Yeah, I couldn't get. Was it down and towards? Did the sort of forward rolls or the cartwheels and stuff? It's kind of yeah, yeah. Place. Um, just as an aside, by the way, I've just sent you a link to the uh, Spectrum. Yeah, so um, it's not, I don't want to see that again. <laughs> It's terrible. It's <laughs> just a, a guy, just a, a smug man looking at two confused it's ninjas in the background. <laughs> what a tragedy this all is, isn't it? And I mean, just stupid. Why did you do that? I don't know. I don't know. But there you go. Yeah, well, there you go. That's been an interesting part <laughs> with three games that existed. It is. Yes. Um, well, so there you go. Totally clips, blip, and exploding fist plus. February started off on sure footing. <laughs> it did. And then it got fisted. <laughs> right up the blip. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. No wonder there'd be a total eclipse. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, uh, let's take a let's take a break. We're gonna take a quick break and we'll come back and we're gonna look at what was going on with the singles in uh February nineteen eighty-nine. See you in a bit. And we are back. Let's get into some singles, Graham. Our first single is the number ones. And for the first two weeks, Something's Got a Hold of My Heart featuring Gene Pitney with Mark Almond. was, uh, yeah, two weeks. Can you... I can't believe that went to number one, actually, thinking about it. It's really weird. In Britain, in a lot of place. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. Um, I, I, it, I can it kind of, you know, whatever. I can see why it would. It's got that. I bet lots of mums and people bought it. Yeah, maybe. Something's got a hold of my heart. Wobbly, wobble, wobble, wobbly, wob. There's lots yeah. of wobble. For the final two weeks of February, Belfast Child by Simple Minds. Smippleman's. Smippleman's. Smippleman's, they're, they're back. back. <laughs> they're back in cough sweet form. <laughs> Smithelmans. Uh, do you know what? Before you get into saying whatever, I listen to this. I remember none of the, I don't even remember this song. That's, that's weird that you don't remember. That's like the, the, I think it's the second biggest song, isn't it? Uh, 
I don't know. I thought I thought alive and kicking, and uh, don't you forget about me. They're the two I kind of know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe third then. But Belfast Child was the kind of big moody masterpiecey one for people that like Smipplemans. Not me though. I don't really like it. No. No. Based off an Irish folk song. I, yeah, I recognised that bit of the tune because I thought, oh, it sounds like she moved through the fair, and I know that, but I don't know this song in the slightest. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those sort of songs that you're not going to go out your way to find, is it? No, aren't they Scottish anyway? Good question. I'm pretty I sure they're Scottish. The that. Pro- so, there might be. Why are they singing around be, but I don't know. Belfast? Probably sounds better than... Glasgow Child. No, no, no. Yeah. I've never heard of it. Anyway, there you go. Well. Uh, right, let's get into our singles then. 5th of Feb, in at number six, was Last of the Famous International... Hang on, I'll do that again. Last of the International Famous Playboys by Morrissey. Hmm. Apparently inspired by the craze, that. Uh, I could hear that in the lyrics. I like the fact that they filmed this in front of a green screen but forgot to drop the effects in. Yeah. That's what I yeah. thought. I was like, it's supposed to be something going on in the background there because why, why you want a green screen? Well, maybe the background was the green screen and he was actually... <laughs> he was the he was effect. Just, he was the effect. <laughs> no, they wouldn't. They, they refused to play with him, the band, <laughs> in, in the room. Yeah, the, the effects refused to appear with Morrissey. So. <laughs> but the web, I don't know why. Every, every time I press start, it just stops. It's weird. It just won't happen. <laughs> we didn't won't like play it. Didn't with like the Morrissey. Song at all. I don't like Morrissey particularly. Not Morrissey as a person. I don't know him, so I've got no. He's an there, asshole. Although I, I, I hear he's got problems, but um, <laughs> the uh, the music of Morrissey is not. On, it's not for me at all. It's not for me either. I'm always wary of people no. it is for as well. So, but there you go. Number twenty six. Hold me in your arms by Rick Astley. Here he is in pog form. <laughs> Don't get out of taxes in this though. I was most disappointed. No, miracle! He doesn't. There's no taxes at all in it. No, checked. Um, there is. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't actually. This song was okay. I thought it was yeah. okay. Um, I did like the part at the beginning of the video where he's walking from scene to scene and it's sort of scrolling yeah. across to the left. I thought that was quite a really nice effect. They obviously got bored of that or ran out of them because it just never happens again. I was like, obviously, so the whole video continues like this. This is quite a nice video. Quite sort a of walking. idea, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but it, it lasts for about five shots and then they went, oh, this is dead hard to do. Yeah, oh, it means we've got to build loads of these like you know black things. I'll oh, just put, get him materialising on benches. <laughs> Yeah, and walking oh, okay. past people and then have a child look at the camera really meaningfully for no point, no reason. Yeah, yeah. It's, there's a lot of sad ballady songs this episode. Yeah. It's another one of those, isn't it? It is, yeah. I did. I thought this suited his voice, though, more than we've heard yeah, recently. Yeah. He's got a good voice, Rick Astley, and he's oh, yeah. just played Glastonbury, hasn't he, I believe? He did over the weekend, yes. Yeah, crazy. I suppose it went quite well. Um, yeah. In at number 31 was Rocket by Def Leppard. This isn't good, is it? <laughs> It's not one of my favourites off that album, I have to say. No, um, I mean something's gone wrong with his mullet. It's like it's, it's just it's just, it's just taken control. <laughs> it's not the yeah. It, it, it's it's full on party at the back now. It is, and I mean I know the drummer's been through hell, and I mean obviously, but you know just don't dress him in those clothes. Put him in nice. He wears kind of woolen tops. I'm like maybe there's a reason for it. I don't know, but it just doesn't suit the Def Leppard image. I don't think. No. So, uh, it's just no. a messed up song. It doesn't. It's like they're trying to capture their own sound and failing at it, which is really weird because they invented that sound. Yeah, Got a catchy enough chorus, I suppose, if you go with it. But mm-hmm. but it's it's always building up to the you know the big Def Leppard. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> when we laugh. Well, <laughs> even by Def Leppard standards, those lyrics they're, they're gibberish. Yes, they're they gibberish. Are. Um, they go. The first chorus goes: Jack Flash, Rocket Man, Sergeant Pepper, and the band. Ziggy, Benny, and the Jets take a rocket. We just got to fly. I can take you through the center of the dark. We're gonna fly. 
on a collision course to crash into my heart, I will be I will be your I'll be your rocket. Yeah, satellite of love. Rocket what? baby, come on, I'll be your satellite of love. What? Because they're all <laughs> band names, aren't they, at the beginning? I, I think know. so. So it's that's why there's on the video there's loads of sort of shots of the sixties and stuff. But then there's a shot of Gary Glitter. So it's sixties, seventies mishmash names. It's just you know, it's just a crap a version weird. of a uh, uh, Billy Joel's Start the Fire. Um <laughs> Crap version. It's <laughs> some kind of translate. It's translation era. As, era. as uh, you know, Professor Hubert J. Farnsworth would have said, "Crazy gibberish." <laughs> it's complete crazy gibberish. Goodness me, Ziggy, Benny, and the Jets. There's no such band as Benny and the well, Jets. Well, Zig- uh, Ziggy Stardust. I'm guessing Benny Hill. Benny <laughs> Benny Hill. Joan Joan Jet. Jet. Joan- I don't know. Benny Hill and Joan Jet should have done a duet. <laughs> Oh, we did think he did. He actually did do something, didn't he? Did he do Ernie, the fastest milk in the world? Yes, he did. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Anyway, Rocket. Yeah, there we go. Following that, at number thirty-three, more pomp rock. When we have poison, with every rose has its thorn. Let the power ballads begin. Goodness. Oh, this song. His hair is spectacularly well conditioned in that, though. And goodness me. It's so smooth that the light fell off it. It's just crazy. I was looking at it going, this is a shampoo advert. I'm buying that shampoo. I don't don't even have hair. (laughs) It would grow it for you, (laughs) whatever he's using. Yeah, and it's it's a balance, isn't it, as you've rightly pointed out, between long shots of his hair when he's sprawled out (laughs) in the bed looking forlorn and then the you know the beautiful lady laid by his side, well, the beautiful lady's ass, which is tend to be what you see more yeah, look, than that. But. You just lie in your front of it, well, so we can could get some more shots of your ass. <laughs> we need some more ass shots in that video. It's like, oh my yeah. god, <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ! And then it cuts to like slow mo stadium shots. With oh, them all always them dead the slow mo. Oh the, yeah, over friendly hugging, kissing, and yeah, just, it's not great. Just, no, no, it's Best, not. Best use of this song was in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Yeah, no argument from me at all. Yeah, uh, when he quotes they the quote that, it. don't they? When they're in heaven, is it or wherever no, they it, go? Is it in? Or is it? In, yeah, is it heaven or hell? It's heaven, isn't it? Every yeah. rose has its thorn. Yeah, I think they're quoting it to all the famous historians that are there. Something like that. Yeah, Aristotle and Socrates and all that lot. And yeah, at number forty-two, can you dig it by Popoli itself? I vaguely remembered it from Gulliver's, I think. Um, yeah, and Gary, remember Gary playing it? I don't have a lot of memories of Popoli itself, though. Uh, I, I have quite quite a few actually. I really like this track. It's really good. It gets a bit. It's, the hook overstays its welcome a bit. It gets a bit mm. monotonous after a while, but it's it's got a. But well, that hook is really good. But for the problem with this was that for years I thought the chorus of this said "rich girl." Can you dig it? Oh, like, so okay. it and I, I learned today watching it, it says riffs. Yeah. Can you dig it? How foolish I must have looked on the dance floor <laughs> shouting rich girl. We all knew, actually. We all knew. We just, we just, that was the, that was the big joke. We're like, oh, he's coming. He's off. He's off again. <laughs> shouting rich girl for no reason. <laughs> Why do all those people keep walking away from him? It's because they keep, he keeps shouting rich girl in their face and it's not the right words. <laughs> oh, Phil. Oh, oh, my life has been a living joke. Um, <laughs> In at number 47 is All This Time by Tiffany. Mm, not very good, that. <sighs> Her voice doesn't suit these slow songs, does it? Breaking all over the place. No, it doesn't. It's it's fourth and last top ten hit for the, for the United States. She's on her way out now at this point, I think, which yeah. is a bit of a shame from the start she had, but there you go, yeah. what happens. She's suddenly become Tiffano. So uh, you either die it. the hero or live long enough to become the villain, as the Green Goblin said to Spider-Man. <laughs> and he's right. 
He's right. He, he, Tiffany he, should he, listen he, to him. Because she became the villain? <laughs> Did, okay. Just, just, yeah. Tiffany should listen to the it. Green Goblin, all right? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> just as the next person should have. Because number 56 is The Price of Love by Brian Ferry. I think, is this a re-release or something? Why is um, it even I, there? Well, I think so. He had a, a best of out in November 1988. Ah, so right. makes sense why then. And yeah. I listened to the two. This sounds a bit remastered. So so I think it's probably just some remastering some tracks for a quick book. Mm, okay. um, I watched that original video. So much very sneer. He's got a proper sneer it's on in that video. He's like, yeah. it's like very sneering. Like, very popular, wasn't he, back then? He was, yeah, yeah. Was that Jerry Hall in the video as well, wasn't it? I, I thought it was Jerry Hall, yeah. It must be. Because it was. That's yeah. why then. Yeah, there you go. Just below that, at number 57, was I'm on my way by the Proclaimers. <laughs> For me, it's a read to happiness to die. It's so Scottish, this, and no offence to the Scottish people who listen. I'm on my wee. <laughs> it's, it's like brilliantly sang in that Scottish accent. It's so strongly Scottish, I love it. It I'm is. Brilliant. That's why it's in the Shrek soundtrack. Oh. It is, yeah, absolutely. That's why I remember it more for that. That's where I yeah, remember it from as well. It's a good uh, song, though, all said and done. You know, I'm not a huge fan of the Proclaimers per se, but that's actually a pretty good track. It's a catchy little ditty. It is, yeah. I'm ditty. on my wee. <laughs> it's a catchy little ditty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in at number one is Can't Be Sure by The Sundays. Uh, yes, yes. Um, what your street more than mine, this one. Yeah, this is the first single. So, top British indie charts, received acclaim from one of the best singles in 1989. I hadn't actually heard this, um, but I really like this. So, I'm not listening to so much of their early stuff at all. So, I think I will go rectify this. I was aware of them during the Britpop years because they were they carried on. The big track was Summertime, came out in 97. So, they, they went a bit twee and a bit, they were okay, but they were a bit, I don't know. I thought there was like a little bit of um, what they called. They did uh, Zombie, again, uh, for the Sea Cranberries. Cranberries, cranberries. So, yeah. some of the early, some of the other cranberries tracks, some of the not zombie, but but like yeah. things like late linger and things like that, I thought there was echoes of that in this. It was all right. Yeah. I quite quite liked it. So right. did a lot of stuff. Uh, they they were on the uh, John Peel, which I think my I don't know I, this because if, if you've heard them in '97, did you say was when you was sort of peak listening for you? It's a long. There's quite a big quick big gap there between this. So they're around for quite a while then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, they I think they were they mm. they were sort of had a bit of another comeback during the sort of Britpop years. Ah, I remember okay. that. That's where I remember them from. I was going to say, is that when the record companies were trolling all of the back catalogues of every band, British band they could find, in hope that they'd find another Britpop sensation to throw into the mix? Probably. I think as well, summertime as well. I think it, it's. I think it's probably one of those Brit films as well from around the time. Maybe Notting Hill. Maybe. Four weddings. I've, got, uh, okay. I've got a feeling it might be. Okay. I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but it just seems to. When you listen to it, you're like, I bet that's in a film. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Wasn't offensive, was it? It's a good. It's quite a good song, actually. It's not my cup of tea, though. Definitely your cup of tea. When as soon as I heard it, I thought, Adi, you like this. Yeah, like and this. you were right. I did. I thought the same about uh, quite a few tracks. This, this shaking Stevens as well. We get there as well. <laughs> and the Scorpions. Definitely the Scorpions. <laughs> Definitely them. Number eighty-two. Are you my baby? Uh, by Wendy and Lisa. Um, so funky. I, before I listened to this, I had completely mixed up with the other track. Was are you my bit? We used to have so much fun. They call me cr- I uh, Betty Boop. Uh, yeah, that's what I thought this was, <laughs> but it's clearly not. <laughs> it's so no. much funky. Yeah, it's very funky, isn't it? It's very All funky the funk. indeed. Yeah. Um, yeah, they were originally part of the Revolution, which was obviously Prince's band. Yeah, you they went can on hear to that. form their own their own stuff. They're considered, you know, the band that their band that this their sound. You've got Morris Day in the Morris Day in the Time, is it? Morris Time of the Day, Morris Day in the Time. Yeah, that's it. And mm-hmm. other stuff around that time, very super funk stuff, pop funk. 
I don't know. It's a single from the second album, which was called Fruit at the Bottom. I quite liked it for what it was, but it's not something I could listen to a lot of, though, I find it. find it quite hard on the ear. Yeah, yes, absolutely. In at number 94 was Hot Thing by Gay Bikers on Acid. I, I don't get it, but I'm not, I was never into Grebo, so I don't know much about them other than that. No, I mean, I, yeah, these are one of the founding members. So things like Wonder Stuff and Ed's Atomic Dust, but the only Grebo band that I actually liked was Mega City 4. Um, they, they were amazing. They were ace. You know more about it than I do. I don't know much about them. But that was kind of it. I found a lot of it got, it was a, yeah, not not me, but Mega City 4 had a cracking songwriter in the form of Wiz, a guy okay. called Wiz, who has sadly passed away. Yeah, okay, that is sad. But yeah, so, uh, yeah, but this was, it, I could hear it. I listened to it and I was like, eh, it's okay. It's very much of that that genre, very much. So if you like Grebo stuff, you'll probably like it. Uh, 12th February, in at number two, was Belfast Child by Smipplemans. Yeah, Smipplemans, we're their big solo one we talked about earlier. Yeah, never heard it. Very meaningful, <laughs> but never heard of it. Never heard of it. Uh, at number 29 is Hey Music Lover by S Express. Oh, good track by them, this. Um, I was surprised. I thought so too. I thought Just this was quite of, good. It's S Express, Mark Moore. He was very good at what he was doing, and he wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't. He wasn't ripping off house. He was actually doing what came much later, earlier, which is blending disco in, um, yes. using sa- sample heavy disco samples and mixing it into house. Clever thing to do. There's a lot of Sly and the Family Stone in Hey Music Lover, which is fine because of the way he's mixed it up. And I thought it's got a nice vibe. It remind they remind me of the Shaman in that way. The Shaman had a good vibe at a certain point as well. They've got that kind of quirky British vibe about it. And I like it for that. Good. Yeah, I thought it was a good track. Um, I wasn't wasn't sure about it, but I think most of this Express stuff that I hear, I actually really like. Um, Absolutely. Because he's, like you said, he's just a clever songwriter. He's a clever guy, Mark Moore. Really clever. Yeah. I mean, people think the next guy's really clever, but I've never particularly rated him. Number 32, Promised Land by the Style Council. Well, he wasn't clever enough to not release this garbage, was he? He released it. <laughs> yeah, true. Very, very true. Uh, oh, God, I can't stand the Style Council. I can't. After the no. jam, I mean, I'm not a massive jam fan, but there are some cracking jam tracks. Yeah. But Style Council, just oh, so boring, so bland. Even by Style Council standards, this is tragic. I mean, not only is it bland core, but did I did I get a sousant of Stock Aiken and Walkman in there at a certain point? It was bloody dreadful. I thought you, I think you did. I think you were right on the money with that call. Yeah. Just what on earth? What? Because I mean, you're talking about you know a guy that's professing. This is the style counter. This is supposed to be you know sophisto, whatever we called it back then. Some something tells me that they, you know how did they get involved with Pete Waterman? How did that happen? <laughs> I mean, maybe they didn't. You just listen to him and go, "I'll have a bit of that." Seems to be where the money yeah, is. Yeah, well, it's, I tell you what, it's not the only time we're going to hear it, is it, that sound? But it's everywhere, and that's just, it's terrible. It's a terrible thing, that song. It's a terrible thing. And number 42 is Blow the House Down by Living in a Box. I think they want to blow the house down because they live in a box. <laughs> They're just jealous. <laughs> well, probably are. There's a lot of them in there. Yeah, probably, yeah, this, I wasn't sure what the hell to do about this one. It was a weird, weird track, this. It is uh, a bit weird, isn't it? It's ultra... It's super pop funk, ultra produced. I mean, very heavily produced. Yeah. Um, so this is all made in the studio stuff. It's very in your face. I think it's quite catching its own way. Brian May on guitar solo in that from Queen. Yeah. I think um, uh, there's weird. a bit in the there's a bit in the video where they had red noses on. So I think this is another comic relief. Yeah, track. it could be. I mean, there was some good parts to it. Some stabby trumpets. I know it's making a comeback there. Yeah. Um, but there's more than a passing resemblance in this to the Greatest Showman, uh, Come Alive. I mean, more than the chorus is identical, actually, which is interesting for the uh, more of the Greatest Showman ripping one off the really. Or, yeah, absolutely. Or it came a lot later, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. I, I thought this had elements of uh, sort of Peter Gabriel Sledgehammer era. 
as well. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. There's a little bit, but heavy production again. You see, that's kind of yeah, uh, exactly. That's the yeah, that, that of kind it, of noise. Yeah. yeah, that kind of noise. Yeah, yeah. It's not. I thought it's quite good, but it's you know, it's all right. Yeah, that chorus though. I did listen to the great show because I've, I've not heard that. So, but uh, I did listen. I was like, Jesus, that's pretty much exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. It's exactly. I mean, I don't know how they've got away with that unless it is. You know, it's, there's, there's a credit somewhere in there, or someone's Maybe. getting payments. Somebody. Uh, and at number fifty-five was "Secret Rendezvous" by Karen White. This sounds like so many other songs around the time. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I started, I was like, is this Janet Jackson? Is this, yeah. uh, <laughs> is this Paula Abdul? Yeah, this, it uh... sounds exactly like him, doesn't it? And it's not. It's very bland. It, even for by their standards of that kind of track, it's a bit bland. And I don't think it was ever going to go anywhere, really, was it? And I don't think it no. did. No, I don't think it did. Unlike the next one, number 58, oh, with Je- Jezebel by Shaking Stevens. <laughs> God's sake. <laughs> I, kn- I knew it. When we said it in the last music episode, which was January's, wasn't it? It was uh, episode 111. <laughs> yeah. We said, because we saw Sam Fox, we said doing this, we knew that Shaking Stevens wasn't going to be far behind. Where there's Sam Fox, there's the Shaking Stevens. It's, there's, there's no accident. And here we are. <laughs> here we are. Bloody, he's back. Should we say, here we are? God, yeah, his stupid hairstyle. <laughs> what? He's got full meatball. <laughs> he really has. He said he's a meatball. <laughs> yeah, he he's, he's trying to sort of audition for uh, what's it? Um, Hornsby in the range. Bruce Hornsby in the, in the meatball range. Well, he's, he's trying to be all serious and smouldery, isn't he? But I mean, that jacket and shirt combination is never going to work, is it? It's awful. No, oh, good. Never tuck in your shirt like that. No, just never all bad. Do that. And this is just a terrible thing. I mean, it's the guitar part. It's just a rip off of the, like you said, the Peter Gunn theme. I was like, get ready to play Spy on her. <laughs> It is totally, isn't it? It's just changed his key, so it goes... You can't do that. You can't just rip off another song and play it twice. Oh, it's different. It's a different key and everything. Same notes. Same notes, shaky, you meatball-headed buffoon. And also, what the hell was that wailing at the start? That had me laughing for ages. I thought he was trying to summon demons. He is. Um, <laughs> so what's exactly Jezebel? what he's doing. It's like, oh my god! He's trying to. He's trying, no, it's exactly what he's doing. Is it's the summoning. Um, it's a rich. It's a ritual that he goes through. He does that every it's, day now. It, yeah. It's, anyway, his hair would feed a thousand people. Uh, <laughs> it's so meatball, honestly. That's a, and it's a dense meatball. So dense, in fact, that it's actually. It's actually the color of his hair is actually very light brown, but it's packed so much meat into that that it's gone almost black. <laughs> Light can't escape. I heard that uh, Campbell's Campbell's have sued him. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you see, his jacket isn't isn't brown. That's a white jacket, but the light reflecting off his dark hair has absorbed the light from it because he's got he's got dark matter black hole hair. His, his whole outfit is white. <laughs> Honestly, it's that it's that forehead. He's got no. He's got. He, I mean, this is pre Botox, right? And he's meant to be fifty seven years old when he did that when he recorded that. So, and he's got no, he's got smoothening of the face. Like you won't believe they put filters on top of filters to make him look like that, but it did not help because it merged his hair into a mass. <laughs> oh dear. Poor old shaky. Stupid. Um, and at number 63 is I'm going to get you sucker by the Gap Band. Yeah. The movie can't be far away then, but that's is the it, track actually by them. It, it's, I mean, you'll, you'll have to educate me on this sort of thing. I'm presuming it was, this is an old song, isn't it? Or is it a new I, song I for the film? So. I don't know. I've got a feeling it's. I've got a feeling it's an old song, but I could be completely wrong. You'd have to check into that. I don't know. Yeah, I, I did try to look around, but I couldn't. Couldn't find because the, so, the film version has extra bits in it that that one doesn't. Where it goes, um, I'm gonna get you, sucker! Don't you say that? I'm gonna teach you this yeah. right, and all that. So it doesn't have those in the original version. So I'm guessing it must be a. I don't, I don't know, know. Maybe a redo. Uh, I'm sure uh, Gary the Spud could uh mr brown source could educate us on that if he was yes here. gary where are you when we need you in at number 74 
Passion Rules the Game by the Scorpions. Another power ballad, another one. Um, that video, there's a picture of the video I put there. I think that guitar is compensating <laughs> for something. That stage. Look at that staging. It's absolutely ridiculous. For those who, just go watch this video. We'll put the link in, but just go watch. You only got to watch the first five, ten seconds. Look at the stage. It's basically like, it's just a massive, what, 100 foot high long guitar. Yeah, it's massive. It looks like an alien spaceship landing, doesn't it? Which it probably yeah, is. which, you know... Incredible staging, but compensating, man, compensating. Well, all the staging in the world ain't going to help his hair. <laughs> it's the worst case of hat hair I've ever seen in my <laughs> it's life. So bad, it's so so bad. <laughs> Just keep the hat on, for God's sake, keep the hat on. Or <laughs> yeah, worst case, keep... don't get a haircut and keep the hat on when they did <laughs> that because they clearly cut around it. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, we because it's long at the sides, so it's short at the top. <laughs> so he, he, I don't know what they did. Had... They've inverted him. It's Photoshop inverted. <laughs> Select, select, did magic tool, invert, cut. Exactly, yeah, exactly. They did it wrong, they inverted the wrong way. Oh, Christ on a bike. So bad, so bad. It's like watching real life Spinal Tap, that video. Very much so, yes. It's... Um, right down to the cheesy solos. I mean, how many guitars can one person have in a video? In the space of three minutes, he's held about 19 guitars. And about <laughs> yeah, six different hairstyles, 20 hats. It's like we're exploring his wardrobe and guitar collection. I don't want to do that. The song's horrible, horrible. Yeah, it's a terrible song. thing. Terrible thing. <laughs> and he's ugly, isn't he? I'm sorry, Mr. Scorpion, but you're an ugly, ugly freak. <laughs> don't hold back. <laughs> it's just ugly. It's, a, it's just lead singers of bands, right? Generally speaking, Probably good-looking guys on the whole. In this kind of era of this kind of thing. Not them, though. They book that trend. They get some kind of inverted freak. <laughs> anyway. probably Maybe you could sing really well. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, you probably could. 19th of Feb at number four. Just Leave Me Alone by Michael Jackson. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. If you're noted here, he's owed to the paparazzi, to which yeah, I've noted. Apparently. Maybe you should have thought about this before ha- dangling a baby <laughs> out of a window. Yes, or saying that he entertained chimpanzees at tea parties, having a zoo at his house. Many things he did that were crazy. Many things. <laughs> and would have sort of piqued people's curiosity, especially the press, to go, you know, ah. it, I was uh, full enough, I was actually watching some old Jackson's um, clips on YouTube, um, and it's easy to forget what an amazing... All this stuff aside, what an amazing dancer Michael Jackson was! Oh um, God, yeah, his, yeah. I mean, I he mean, but you know, we, we, I know what we all take for granted. The no, the, this stuff, the the current "Leave Me Alone," the thriller stuff, and all of that. But go back and look at when he was in the Jackson Five, and look at the stuff the guy's doing when he was. He's only what in his young teens. It's incredible. That guy's pulling off moves and doing stuff that even now would be considered, you know, technically amazing dancing. It's incredible to watch. I would advise anybody, you know, put their feelings about Michael Jackson. You know, the man to one side and go and look at him when he was in the Jacksons and look at the dancing that he's doing. It's just mind boggling how good he was. He was a good dancer. Yeah. He was. And then, of course, it went down a little bit when he dangled a baby out of a window, married Elvis Presley's daughter. And it's still full of sorts of strange things culminating in, of course, you know, mysterious, a few mysterious deaths were involved. Well, yeah, his. Yeah, so don't write a song called Leave Me Alone and then do that stuff. Like, yeah, well, it's, this is the curse, isn't it? They all seem to do it. Uh, they don't want the press, but they do want the press, but they don't want the press, but they do want the... Don't sail a giant statue of yourself down the Thames. You don't want attention. 
that, is that, true. Tends, that tends to call attention to you when you do things like that. <laughs> going down with a loudspeaker going, leave me alone, <laughs> leave me alone. <laughs> it's out soon. My track called leave me alone. <laughs> so leave me alone. Uh, that, that, yeah, that massive statue reminds me of Benders in Futurama. Worship me. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> Worship me. Uh, more than a, probably more than a hint of it there. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. In at number yeah. 12 is Help by Bananarama and Lani Nini Nounu. Lani Nini Nounu, yeah. This is the comic relief thing, wasn't it? It was, La- yeah. Lani Nini Nounu were... Um, French and Saunders, weren't they? French and Saunders, yeah, they were, yeah. Doing what they do. So Bananarama would be singing. Um, Lani Nini would be in the background wearing silly hats and pulling faces and pushing things over and stuff. Yeah. Seen it all before, didn't they? Did it with us in Moye? Yes. Yes, they did. Yes, uh, in Yeah. Number 28, Nothing Has Been Proved by Dusty Springfield. That sounds like a bit of a confession. <laughs> it does, yeah. Uh, Pet Shop Boys, written and produced. That. Yeah, she did work with the Pet Shop Boys a bit around this period, didn't she? She did something else yeah, with them as well, good. I think. Yeah, she did, yeah. Um, um, I'm not struck on it, but it's got a good saxophone solo. What about it? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I thought it was a bit forgettable, personally. I listened yeah, to it. well, it's Dusty Springfield, though, isn't it? Or as my dad used to call her, Rusty Spring Bucket. Don't know why. Just what he did. <laughs> okay, no idea to this enough. day. It's a mystery. Yeah. Number 33 is Turn Up the Bass featuring Cool Rocksteady by Tyree featuring oh, Cool Rocksteady. Such a good track. I know it's not up your street, but it's such a good track, that is. It's so got that good. bloody woo. Yeah. Woo. That's a famous sample. Yeah. That's, um, I know that's it's Lynn Collins. And I, and it, I hated it in every song it appeared in. It's a Lynn Collins song called Think About It. And hated it. It's, it's in over 3,000. Tracks. That I, I sample. That's three thousand songs. I hate. I know. I know. It's not for everyone's cup of tea. And do you know how short that sample is? It's it's literally it's less than half a second. It's so tiny. They've just looped it aggressively. I know. Dust but my head um, such that is such a good track. If you listen, if you because there's two. Obviously, there's a version you can the single version. There's loads of remixes of it. It got remixed you know, not that long ago again into another track. It's been done loads of times. But just check out the top of Pop's performance version because the bass is so thunderous coming out of the systems. It almost yeah, overwhelms the BBC. And it's so good for it. That that essence of thunderous bass that comes back later in dance music. At this point, it's 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 an interesting because it's it's in there from the the way that they've mixed in their sort of rap and hip hop sort of soundtracks and the, the the sort of the break beats that are in it. Because they normally would you'd kick out the bass on some of those, so you get that kind of more traditional hip hoppy break beat sound. But they left them in, and you get this thunderous sort of bass driven kick drum that sort of thunders through it. And it powers that kind of that kind of beat, and that gradually works its way into really thunderous other music of that type, like Hard House and stuff like that. So it's a real interesting pedigree if you follow it along. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Good stuff. It's got that sample in though, so don't like it. Woo! Yeah, <laughs> Woo. that's all it is. It? No, yeah. That's James. That's James Brown, and I think I can't remember who the other person is, but there's another famous musician around that time. That's just it's them. It's so short. If you listen to it and go listen to the Think About It track, it's literally. Less than yeah. a second is hilarious. The, first, isn't the it? first one I became aware of that was in was uh, the Rebels Here and He Street Turf. That one, that's in, it's <laughs> dig, in dig, there dig, as well. Dig, 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 yeah. Rough like a ninja, Ooh. stinging like yeah. a bee. That one, <laughs> hate that too. Back by public demand, you now listen to a one-man band. Yeah, <laughs> oi, oh yeah, everybody shake your st- Oh, it's a classic track. Like, ding, ding, did a ding, ding. Oh, listen to that now. Anyway, uh, in at number thirty-four was Everything Counts Live by Depeche Mode. I think this is my favourite Depeche Mode track by good, Miles. It's a, it's a good choice. It's a great track, this is. Great lyrics, great production, great yeah. way this song is constructed, all about 80s consumerism, and big business. We've noted here some of the lyrics. Just Martin Gore had such a knack with them, like um, this, the turning point of a career, a career of being insincere. It's just Very a great good, couple yeah. of lines. The holiday was fun packed, the contract still intact, confidence mm. taken in by a suntan and a grin. 
just no, it's just, so good. It's, it's this lyrical sort of twist and putting stuff together, how to sort of rhyme stuff, but mean stuff and rhyming unusual words, but making them work. We've seen so many rhymes where we've gone like, ah, oh. um, but yeah. he's this. It's so great, and the, the way that the the chorus grabbing hands, grab all they can, all for themselves. After all, it's a competitive yeah, yeah. world. Everything counts in large amounts. But the way that's sung, you know, it all goes to that sort of really sort of nice choral. It's in sort of counterpoint yeah, yeah. to the sort of meaning. It's all nice, but it's awful. It's just a brilliant song, an absolutely brilliant song. That you know, they're at the peak of their powers at this point, Depeche Mode. So yeah, yeah, they are they're very good. Which album is it off? Actually, everything counts. Uh, it's not. Oh, it's not some great reward. I don't know. Let me have a look. Anyway, it's by the by. Um, I remember hearing a version of this. I think I've heard a Sid version of this at some point as well. And yeah, just, there probably will be, yeah. It's such a good track, Everything Counts. And that live version is, no, I don't know if it's the same live version because there's so many live versions on YouTube, obviously. But any one of them, it's astonishing how good that is. I mean, he looks terribly ill, I actually have to say, mm. in a couple of those versions. But what the hey, what an amazing track. It's brilliant, brilliant, I think, easily. It was off uh, Construction Time again, which was their third album. It's up there with Shake the Disease for me, which I think is my other favourite Depeche Mode track of all time. Yeah, it is very good. And at number 42, this time I know it's for real, my Donna Summer. This is a tragedy. It's a tragic thing. This sounded dead like Kim Wilde's You Came. Well, it would do, because it's from the same template. Yeah, it's weirdly (laughs) weird. Like I listened to it going, this is Kim Wilde, isn't it, at the beginning? Oh no, hang on, yeah. change now. But yeah, awful song, most sore awfulness. Yeah, it is. It's 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 literally Stock Aiken and Walkman by the horrible numbers. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Donna Summer and and her, I guess, producer or agent approached Stock Aiken and Walkman because they liked the sound of Rick Astley, and they said, you know, we like that, we we want in on that sound, and the, so this song was born. Tragedy. I suspect it probably was a song for Kim Wilde that they just you know usurped for somebody else. She should have stuck with Giorgio Moroder and Pete Bellotti because this is the Donna Summer that brought us I Feel Love and I, and I you know, it's such a great and landmark of a track yep. to go from that and all the others and I Love to Love You Baby and stuff, to go from those to this. To this it's just, I, I can't even equate this to being the same person. It's such a crap song. But this yep. is, you know, we're starting to see now and we're going to see more of it, how awful Stock Aker Woman became because it, it descends rapidly as well. Well, here we are, number 44, I'd Rather Jack. By the Reynolds girls. This was awful. And clearly this was written for Mel and Kim. I mean, there's no doubt about that. I wouldn't be surprised, yeah. So, and of course, you know, one of them had had the audacity to pass away on Pete Wartman. So, you know, far be it from him to, you know, hold them in any regard. He just released any songs that he'd written for them with with two other poor, innocent people and tried to make profit off them. I've seen, I saw some documentary once, which and it was talking about the change in sort of mood about, like at the, like at the end of uh, the 70s when punk came in and kicked out prog and things like that, and how mm. this song... And the lyrics to this song are, are, were seen as a bit one of the sort of sea change moments when sort of established bands, because a lot of the established bands get name checked in this. Fleetwood Mac, and and, and I think it, I think there was an interview with Mick Fleetwood saying, "Well, when we heard this, we realised we were like, oh, we're a, we're a bit dinosaurish by now." And so this was, you know, hmm. I mean, don't talk to us, but there was a certain thing about this song which was, you know, we don't want to listen to those old bands anymore, and I can't even understand that. It's just not a particularly great song, mm. but um, interesting yeah. sentiment. Did you, you watch the video with the two girls in it, the, the Reynolds two girls? girls? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, because you know they hadn't been picked for any other reason that they, they needed to. For I mean, they weren't they weren't going to be particularly bankable, charitable stars for this. They knew that this was so. And weirdly, a lot of sore, sore output at this point had been aimed squarely at the kind of um, the gay nightclub scene, you know, the the, the high energy scene. That, but there, there was a sea change coming. 
where they'd realized because of Callie Minogue and Jason Donovan and the pop stuff, more money was in the hills of pop. And so they just start yeah. churning this stuff out and we're going to get loads, so, so much more of it. I mean, this is just the beginning. And this is why when we first started talking about some of this music and we first, we sort of, we've seen the genesis of Stockacre and Waterman, interestingly, right away from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And we said back then that when they started, this is not how, the, you know, how they, end, we said right back then, if you listen back to the podcast, how they end up is not how they started. They started a, 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 with a much better idea than this, and then money and profits took over, and then you know they're big produced in like as a, yeah. they, they claim they're a factory, and such a tragedy because these songs are awful, and that's a terrible, terrible thing. Mm. I blame terrible. it. On, I blame it on Woolworths. Yeah, Woolworths. Well, they've got to blame somebody. Blame them. Blame them. Yep. At number forty-six, they're back. Celebrate the world with Womack and Womack. Careful what you say. Womack. Womack. Everything about the Womacks are brilliant. Everything. <laughs> Womack. <laughs> Womack the brilliant. Connery so yes Womack and Womack very very good indeed number 50 Info Frico Jesus Jones quite know what to make of this particular song but there's so many samples in it it's unreal yeah I mean it, I, was, I think this is the first time I've seen Jesus Jones in it but um, they're interesting bandies they're kind of I mean, they, they get bigger later. Some big, they have quite some big hits with International Bright Young Thing, Right Here, Right Now, and Real, Real, Real. They were pretty big hits. But it's good to, I thought this was nice to hit, listen to something like this in amongst all this sore nonsense. So it's interesting to sort of hear someone doing some something different with guitar music um, around the time that wasn't, you know, it was kind of getting mm. into the sort of not number 50s and not totally up there, but some decent stuff. I, th- I quite like this. But um, yeah, it's, it's just a weird thing. They, they got lumped in with what was that band who did. Um, they did uh, unbelievable EMF. EMF, oh, that's yeah. So they right. were sort of lumped in, I think, with a lot of those kind of bands, and I don't mm. think they really were. I think they were a bit, bit more cleverer than that. But um, yeah, like you say, it's a bit of a lighthouse, isn't it, amongst all the stock Aiken and Walkman? So yeah, exactly. As is the next one to some degree, number sixty-three, International Rescue. By we've got a Fuzzbox and we've got to use it. Or Fuzzbox. <laughs> Fuzzbox, yeah. Interesting, interesting song. Bit withy waffy in its kind of thematic because it's just leaning on Thunderbirds for reasons. And Barbara, you definitely, well, you put Thunderbirds and Barbarella. There's loads of Barbarella in it. Yeah. yeah, it's totally, they've just got that sort of sci fi vibe. The lead singer, though, I mean, goodness me, she's she's absolutely stunning in that video. She's got no waist. She's tiny, I know, but how do <laughs> yeah, they, um, crazy. how are they not like super famous? Like, I mean, they, they kind of came and went, didn't they, really? Yeah. Fuzzbox, um, so. Aid Edmondson popping up in there. I, I, if you looked at the uh, comments on YouTube, there's one that made me laugh, which was uh, some bloke saying, uh, I didn't really like these when I was younger, but now as a middle-aged man, um, I think they're brilliant. And uh, for no reason other than I think they're really very good. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> middle-aged does change your view on things, I have to say. It does. Yeah. Nothing uh, to do with the way they look at all. No, not slightly. No, I saw a similar comment on a video that I think it was one that we watched the last time we did the music. And it just said, men of culture, assemble. Because it was just that one with um, Journey's video. Oh, no. The algorithm for middle-aged brought you here. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, um, <laughs> so I've got a middle-aged number 84, Sailing Away by Christa Berg. I, I wish you would. would. I wish you would, <laughs> yes. That's what, exactly what I thought. Bugger off, should have called that track. <laughs> uh, uh, it just makes Chris Rhea look hyperactive, this. Nobody um, wants to see hyperactive Rhea on Chris. No one. <laughs> Sort of Terrible. winking at winking at you. Twenty sixth of February, uh, in at number nine, too many broken hearts by Jason Donovan. More, more sore ass, more <laughs> stuck aching and Walkman. <laughs> well, it's so, I like to refer to it as sore ass. So more so, it is. It will give you a sore. Just you know, it was a factory. This, but this really proved that Jason Donovan really couldn't sing for shit. He wasn't the best of singers, was he? No, he wasn't. <laughs> he may have gotten better because obviously he did that 
Joseph's multicolor. He must have been able to sing for that. Yeah, he did. Joseph's technical dream coat. All right, you know, credit with credit. We went on the stage. He also sailed down the Thames with a massive uh, statue of himself as well, but no one gave a shit. <laughs> No one noticed. But now they're in this sort of retro reverie bit, aren't they? So these these songs of sort of make a weird comeback. Stockick and Walkman are kind of vogue again for some reason. Yeah, I don't know why. No, I don't. Cause, cause Not for they, me. Because you know, the world's doomed, I don't know. Probably. Uh, and at number 26 is Wages Day by Deacon Blue. Bloody Deacon Blue. <laughs> is that it? No, don't. It's just, it's not horrible, I guess, but just... Finally, they did what they should have did, lid, <laughs> done. What they, they did what they should have done, done what they should have did. They did have should. They did what they, they've done what they did have should. Yeah, you mean they, they rhymed the, the, the words correctly? You're not going to let yes. that lie, are you? No, I'm not. I hate that stupid, stupid song. I know you do. This is very Real M-O-R. gone kid, isn't it, the other one? But this is yeah. the follow-up, I guess. This is very M.O.R., I thought. Very M.O.R. Just a bit. Goodness me. Number 28 is Mean Man by Wasp. Yes. Yes, you can be a mean man if you want. Ugh. I didn't like it because I don't like Wasp at all. I, I don't either. This was a horrible song. Yep. Um, just a... What was he called, the guy that... What was the lead singer called? Uh, Blackie Lawless. actually. Yeah, Blackie Lawless. That's no, it's the lead singer. Well, the, the, and guitar, he's guitarist and lead singer. Yeah, yeah. In at number 34 is Straight Up by Paula Abdul. do 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 yeah, mm. straight, straight up. up. Tell you what you're really gonna love me forever. Uh, 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 I'm a uh. cut in hit. Uh, do, do, do. Yeah, very good. Classic <laughs> 80s, really. That really excellently produced. Yeah, um, Paula Abdul, incredible dancer and choreographer. That video proves it. Although it is mm-hmm. very high contrast, but it's it's it is a very good track. All said and done, <laughs> it's incredibly high contrast. Really well edited as well. Um, yes, very well edited and put together. Lots of sort of movement on the snaps, which is yes. Really, sort of lots of kinetic energy in that video. I really like it and quick, quick yeah. cuts. And her um, dancing is, you know, she's an exceptionally gifted dancer as well. I mean, it's it's easy to, you know, because she sort of came and went a little bit. But she was a really before she even got to this point, she was already a famous choreographer. So mm, yeah, yeah, really clever. So that 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 dancing style that you see her doing that video, she kind of invented a lot of that. Yeah, <laughs> not again, not normally my cup of tea as a song, but good song this is. I like this one. Yeah, it is good. It's a good song. Good yeah. tune. In at number forty is "Crying Crying" by Vixen. Oh, the hair! <laughs> so much hair in that. It's ridiculous how much hair there is. Well, it doesn't help that it's backlit by the sun. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's the only thing big enough to illuminate it. <laughs> True. <laughs> I mean, massive, massive, tiny face, huge hair. <laughs> yeah. It is huge. Um, it's it, massive. The song's okay. It's all right. It's another bloody ballad, isn't it? Another one. I mean, to backcomb something like that must take weeks. <laughs> weeks and months. Absolutely. Well, I mean, at least it's letting light through, unlike uh, Meatball Stevens. Absolutely. I mean, you know, back in the, back in the merry, merry, merry days of yore, your partner was known to have backcombed hair, rather. Yeah, um, she so did you could for a while, ask. Yeah. You maybe have to ask, ask. You know, ask when you were backcombing your hair. Maybe not to that extent because you, know, <laughs> you weren't trying to block out the sun. Um, but um, you know, how long did it take? I imagine it's probably complicated. Probably yeah, complicated. Probably was. Yeah, and it must take ages to d to do it the opposite way. When you want it, when you don't want it like that, what do you do? It must, must take you weeks. If you put water near that, it repels it. <laughs> I mean, that's got gravity. You know, they've just detected gravitational waves, and it's because the they've seen this video. We looked at this video on YouTube, and the gravitational waves had just been detected out of space. <laughs> So. Uh, crying uh, number 45 is Veronica by Elvis Costello do you know some people like Elvis Costello some people don't I'm not criti- criticising Elvis Costello I think there's room for whatever you know whatever he does and I remember all of his army and stuff like that 
I don't remember this track. However, I- I'm not a fan of his. That's not to say he isn't very good at what he's doing, whatever that might be. Yeah, I, I was. I knew this track. I was just wasn't aware. I watched it today, sort of thing. I found obviously, it's just from a personal perspective, that the intro to this was quite moving because it's about obviously seeing someone with dementia mm. um, and then not knowing who you are and just going on a sort of time trip for them. And I, I found that quite moving because obviously, not to go into it, but what happens with my mum and stuff like that. So yeah, there was yeah. there was there was part of that and listening to the lyrics as well. But yeah, it was uh, interesting. It's, it's an okay song, but just found it a bit like a bit odd. Well. At least- you know, he doesn't do it the way Morrissey would have done it, which is always a like relief in that way because Morrissey just made everything that big song and dance horribly. At least Elvis Costello, you kind of feel a little bit of the music in there, don't you? The feeling mm. of the lyrics and stuff. Yeah, a bit of passion in there, a bit of passion. Uh, number fifty-four. Don't know what you got till it's gone by Cinderella. God, another power ballad. And um, this is the tragedy of this song for me is that the Cinderella vocalist just does not, and, and, and he's re-released it and re-sung it, and it's considered one of their huge huge hits right. and one of their big big you know considered one of the big cinderella you know mega tracks so this is probably going to sound a little bit annoying to people that really like cinderella but i don't think he's a very good singer and i don't think he sings this very well no um, i think he, I. he clearly struggles and he struggles in every version he's ever sang even the re- more recent live versions he's still struggling with it give this to somebody that can hit those notes without you know his voice sounding like it's been put through a cheese grater and it sounds like a much better song and there's quite a few youtubers out there we'll post one or two that have come across but this you know it's one of those songs that people have done their own versions of and they're always better than the original in my book yeah there's one you linked to there i have no idea who they are but the, as soon as he started singing it was like oh yeah that's, yeah, and you realise it's a, it's a great song, actually. It could be a good song in the right hands. Give it to Aerosmith. It's just, it's got an Aerosmithy quality to that. No, because yeah. Aerosmith are not, are not unknown for their great ballads. Even Europe, you know, I mean, yeah, like I don't like Europe, but Joey Tempest's got an amazing voice for that kind of thing. So. Yeah, would have been all right. Nearly done now. 19, uh, sorry, number 82, Strong Hearts by John Farnham. This sounds like a take on the Phil Collins song. No, I read this as Two Strong Farts, um, <laughs> and I thought that would be a good parody, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, my only note about this was it's not terrible, it's not great. More mullet taken over, though. His mullet. Too much mullet. Way too much. Fan and mullet. Far it's too Timmy, much. Far too much Timmy mullet. mullet. <laughs> Timmy mullet. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and finally, uh, at number 87, uh, On the Real Tip by Def Jeff. Yeah, it's a classic hip hoppy type track. Brown Sauce would love it, probably did, still does. Probably. If you like that kind of thing, you're going to dig it. It's not, it's that I'm starting to shift out of the rappy um, hip hop oeuvre here. And because I was sort of, as in my own personal taste at the time, heading more into sort of metal and industrial metal and stuff like that and going down a very different road to the house and hip hop that we'd been listening to. I think that was my brain's instinctive reaction over time. Uh, so. <laughs> There's only so much you're going to do. This wasn't yeah. for me, never was, never will be. Well, no, it's, it's, it's somebody's cup of tea, I suppose. I guess it is. And there you go. That's the singles for 19, February 1989. We're going to take another quick break. We'll come back. We've still got three more games to get through. So uh, we'll see you then. And we are back. We've got three more games to get through. Let's spare no time. Let's get straight into them with the massive Rambo 3. <laughs> massive grave. <laughs> <laughs> it's huge. The hair was. <laughs> Rambo 3. Um, anyway, <laughs> let's get into Rambo 3. After the relative success, I guess, of the conversion of Rambo First Blood Part 2, which we looked at way back in episode 19, which is which, wow. ironically, was February 1986. So we are three years apart. Okay. We have the next installment in the Rambo franchise in the more simply titled Rambo 3. This is from Ocean again, but this was coded by the ever-reliable Zach Townsend, graphics by Andrew Slay, and music by Jonathan Dunn. We also discussed a film last year, 
um, when it came out of cinemas. But in case you forgot on the plot of that, Rambo 3 is basically all about Rambo going to rescue his erstwhile mentor, Colonel Troutman, and aiding and abetting the fighters af- of Afghanistan against the invading Soviet army. Bad it, innit? Playing yeah, a bit, sums uh, it up. And sort of pl- playing some kind of ho- horse game in the middle of it for no real reason. That's Paolo, all I really remember Paolo, about. Is it Paolo? Yeah, they do. I don't know. Anyway, so apart from the Polo, the game, well, follows that plot pretty faithfully, I guess, story-wise. Um, and like the first game, it's also split into three distinct sections, each of which you must make your way through in order to complete the game. The first two sections are Flick Screen Top-Down Affair, which sees you rescuing Troutman in the first section, and the second sees you set a plate of explosive before escaping in a helicopter. And, and then the third section is a first-person flight shooter as you try and make your escape. So, okay, so that's what we've got. All right. So first section, I said, is set indoors in the prison camp, I guess. Is it the prison camp? I think it's the prison camp. So when you start off, you are armed only with your knife and you must make your way through the building, finding weapons on site, along with things like the metal detector and health packs in order to stop up your health. There's loads of other objects and guns and stuff to find, pistols, what have you. So both this and the second section have each screen taking up the top four fifths of the screen. Whilst the UI at the bottom shows your present weapon, the object currently active in your inventory, your score, it's got the name of the game, in case you forget, and your health, which is represented by Rambo's head, slowly going skeletal. Kind of weird. Chip. Um, yeah, if it, uh, which is it's really quite creepy when you're halfway through your health. I thought exactly the same. The top half's a skeleton, and the bottom half is a is Rambo. It turns into Zambo, a zombie Rambo. It's really creepy. <laughs> really quite creepy as it's sort of about halfway down. You're like, ah, I need to get more health. If it goes full on Skeletor, uh, then it's game over for you. So the objective of the first section is to make your way around, solve some puzzles, turn off some electric doors, which are dead annoying, instant kills, and find the colonel who is trapped in some uh, part of the compound. And when you do find him, he looks very happy to see you. He jumps up and down, and goes, yay, should you make it to him. Uh, you have to be careful with your weapons because it's going loud. Supposedly makes the enemies who are aimlessly wandering around come after you. But I didn't find this to really to be the case. They, mm-hmm. I shot at them and they still just wandered around aimlessly. <laughs> so uh, not sure that's really the case. The second section is a separate load. And this one is a much more gun-toting affair as you charge about trying to find the explosives, of which there are eight. Um, and this is, the UI is the same. This is marked just below the current weapon on the UI. It's just got a little number. They've just added a number, which goes down as you find the explosives. Which, weirdly, I thought, react the wrong way because they're flashing when you when you go onto the screen. Then when you run over them, they stop flashing. It's like you put them out. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> So uh, th- that's kind of wrong. I would expect them to, when you go over them, because you're setting the explosives to go off, aren't you, and blow up the camp. So I would expect them to, to light up, to sort of, like, they're do, yeah, do, do igniting. Flashing rather, or something, yeah. Yeah, so it's the, 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 it's the, the wrong way around. Um, I get it because they're flashing to draw attention to themselves, but they could have been flashing and then something else, like shh, like a little spark or something. But I just thought it was the wrong way around. There are loads more enemies in this version, in this uh, part. They're just, and they're just everywhere. Constant everywhere, running around aimlessly, randomly. And so you you just, uh, but you can keep shooting at this point. I never ran out of ammo. I didn't have any cheat on, but I don't know if you can. You've got to switch your uh, weaponry to blow up the gates because you've got to use your explosive arrows and because there's different parts of the compound and you, you watch it. So you're just charging around this flick screen stuff, shooting stuff, looking for eight bits of explosive. And when you've lit all them or not lit all them you can find the helicopter and you can take off and that's the second part done this third part changes and becomes a straight on into the screen blaster didn't zach townsend do this in something else recently didn't he do that shooter where you flew into the screen 
and then it was a top-down yeah. helicopter shooter. Yeah, but I can't remember what it was now. It, yes. Was it what was it called? It was that it was that uh, Konami, that weird sort of I can't remember what it's called. But yeah, so we did that, didn't he? So this yeah. is a bit like that. He's obviously taken that code because it was flying into the screen. It was the second section where you're going down the canyon, the second flying one. So there's that. So yeah, so that's what you got to do. Except this is in first person. You don't see your craft. You're inside the helicopter. So the UI at the bottom has loads of dials. None of them mean anything <laughs> that I could make out. There's just lots of flashing and beeping and flashing and beeping <laughs> stuff just going on. The only thing yeah. to take note of is the timer, which is in the top right of the screen, really small. And you just got to wait as far as I can make out till that gets to zero. And if you do, then you complete the game. The 3D effect is a series of lines coming at you in that typical way they've used since sort of Book Rogers, I guess, all the way back in the sort of early 80s. And the enemies are a mix of people, tanks, and helicopters, which we kind of saw similar in Operation Wolf um, last month. So similar sort of thing to that. Um, and so all you do is move a cursor around and keep firing. So it's quite similar to Operation Wolf in a lot of ways, except it's in it's moving in 3D rather than crab ways. So it's it's like an Operation Wolf section in, in, in a sense. It's quite fast and frantic, and it's probably the most fun part of the game, I guess, because it is just a bit of a blast, you know, mad blaster action thing. So overall, what to say about this? The three sections, they're pretty, you know, they're technically proficient, which is kind of what we've come to expect from Zach Townsend over the time we've seen his games. But the first one is dull. It's dull to play through. It goes on too long. And there's no excuse for instant kill doors, which have no sign on them that I could see and just end the game immediately. That's just bad. That's really bad. There should be a sign that, a little on the wall next to him, a little electricity sign or something. Supposedly there are switches or something you can find to turn them off. It's a pain in the ass. Yeah, there should be better uh, signposts. The, yeah, so it just tells you because I just went it run into them. It's like full on skeleton dead. Like oh, could have just or it could have just zapped you and bounced you back a bit, knocked a bit of your health off. Don't be, don't just kill me immediately. That's just bad game design. Because if you don't warn a player that there's no instant death is there, you know that's just it's just annoying. So I didn't like that at all. Yeah, it's annoying and punitive, and it makes this boring section of the game feel like a trial and error section because you don't know what doors are going to kill you now you're like i don't know i don't understand the second section with its more blasting style is a bit more fun but it just feels aimless because you're just wandering around there's no there's there's no map that i could see or anything i don't know if there was a map that you could find but you're just wandering around trying to find like it, you've got what i think the first compound is something like about is it five or six high by eight wide however many screens that is um and there's only like four bits of or three or four explosives to find in that section. So you, know, you do the math. It's just dull, and then you've got to get up. It's just it's just too much. It's, it's no guidance, but it's because it gets boring. Um, it felt like a, a rubbish version of Into the Eagle's Nest for me. That's what this felt like a lot. So, But, you know, some decent visuals, I guess. They just do look a bit samey after a while, but it's, it's, it's all right. Sounds from Jonathan Dunn. There's some okay tunes, but you've got a big f- shoes to fill when you look, think of the... Um, thematic Indeed. score for Rambo 2 from Galway you know those, those are some massive shoes to step into and and no I'm sorry but y- y- your feet are not big enough the third section is a bit more of a blast but all you do is fling the crosshair about and shoot everything so it actually reminded me a bit like I said of Operation Wolf in that regard but at least it was something different it's not a terrible game this what did it get it got, feel, uh, got 47% maybe a bit harsh it just seems to have some odd design decisions I don't know why the second level doesn't scroll like Rambo strange I couldn't maybe the first section with it being in rooms okay first of all then have the second section scroll and just be a mad sort of commando rambo we saw you know just have it scroll i don't know there's little to actually do in the second and third section so it feels quite unbalanced 
there's with a little more thought going into the design. It could, this could have been all right, but it just feels like the first section has been boiled down to a trial and error fetch quest. The second two are paired back to the point where there's so little to them that they get pretty boring pretty quickly, even though that third section's okay for five minutes. Or, but, you know, yeah. it's an odd game, this. That, that, but considering the source material, fails to really provide any thrills or enjoyment for the majority of its playtime. I just found it really dull to play um, and just boring. But it's what we're saying about a lot of the games is just trying to do something interesting, but like, but then stretching a concept over too much of a thing doesn't make it good. And that was my problem with this. What about you? Yeah, it's a bit of an oddity, this one, really. Okay, presentation and music. Okay. Graphics were all right. I mean, I quite like the way it played for what it was. That kind of mishmash of Gauntlet, Eagle's Nest, Avenger, bit of Alien Syndrome maybe even in there. Yeah. Um, it's in the middle of all that lot somewhere, isn't it, in terms of the different ways it plays out, but never really gets to grips with any one of those in any strength. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. It, the whole thing feels really thankless and wandery, though. So you're just plowing on through rooms, just killing loads of stuff. And I guess that's that's Rambo, right? I mean, that's, you know, that's if you were just to describe Rambo to somebody, what does he do? He just wanders around killing people. All right. So that's what they made the game from. Um, yeah. And, I, and that was the problem with the, the movie, strange enough, as well. Rambo 3 is just a violent, you know, series of encounters. So it just feels like there's just, I don't know, just looking, being Rambo and looking around for stuff isn't very exciting. And this kind of thing, if they'd have gone down more of an actual Rambo route, that Fernandez Must Die was more like Rambo 3 than this game was, really. Yeah. Um, and it would have worked probably better in that sense. You've got people in jail cells. It's just, I don't know, just, it seems odd that they took it this direction, but okay, they did. So for me, because of that, it doesn't have the go-to playability of Rambo and it lacks any kind of the, the tactic mentality so it's just, at least in the first and probably second sections, they're a bit better for that. But the third one, again, it's just a shoot, really, not a very good one. Instead of thinking about how you might get somewhere or solve a puzzle and to get past enemy patrols, and you just run around and kill everything, really. So it's it's neither one thing or the other. And eventually, when you do get to the second and third stages, well, the second is, I thought, more or less the same as the first, a bit more shooty, but it's more or the same. And like you exactly point out, just make it more, just make it scroll like Commander. Make it just into Rambo if you're going to do that. Yeah, or be chased, be chased by something in Rambo. Rambo at certain points, in every Rambo film, he's always being chased by somebody. So maybe do that. I don't know. Um, and the zoom shooter, the shooter thing at the end. I don't like those kind of games. You know, and it seems to be a bit of a cheap shot for this. We had it with Savage as well, and just stick a zoomy thing in, stick a yeah. you know shooter yeah, screen enough. game in there. And I don't like it, like it for that. So I don't know. I don't know how successful you'll feel this. It, this is really for me. It's a Rambo game by name, but not a lot of thought has gone into it. And so you end up with a you know, an arcade explore, shoot everything kind of game that sails into average very, very quickly. The audio was okay, but it's not, you know, that, it's, it's not Rambo. And that's the problem. You know, if you were, like you say, if you're going to do Rambo music, you better make it bloody good because you've got such a high benchmark here mm-hmm. and it doesn't, it doesn't achieve the greatness of that. And maybe they just thought, you know what, we're never going to be that good. So just put something in. I thought the visuals were okay. Some, some nice details on the sprites here and the backgrounds were okay. They do all start to look very samey very quickly until you get to the third section, which is might be that departure, but it doesn't add anything to the game. Great pity this. There's such rich source material for what could have been an interesting game. To blend the idea of having Rambo in part one, not part one of the movie, you know, section one of the game, searching for Troutman, and then section two, escorting Troutman out and keeping him alive, that would have made sense. Yeah. Not like this. So it's a big misfire, really. Big license. Lots of people would have bought it because it's Rambo 3. Really good loading screen, really good artwork for the game. But the actual game itself, complete misfire. So, you know, he got the M16 or M60 rifle, but there were no bullets. Um, it's like, <laughs> that's, that's how you imagine that, that happened in the film. Um, yeah. So, no, no, just it's just a bit more of a licensed cash grab, I'm afraid. Pity. 
great pity, really. He got 47%, didn't it? I, I think that's bang on, actually. It's about as average a game as you're going to get for this kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't so, put it much higher. It would have been around 50 for me, maybe just... Yeah, yeah. And there's maybe for hints of where the graphics are quite good, but nah, nah, nah. It's just, it's just a bit of a shame. Pity, really. I think there was they could have made that into something really good had they just thought about what it was that made the Rambo 3 film quite good. Those parts of the film are good. Yeah, there we go. Rambo 3, not as good as it could have been, which was kind of going to be the case, wasn't it? Mm. Anyway, let's get on to our next one. Because Graham, you have the pleasure of being an ocean conqueror. Nothing's pleasurable about this. <laughs> Nothing. Two ninety nine. This was from. It was published by Racket, which was the budget label of Houston, wasn't it? It was indeed. Twenty one percent. Oh dear. This title screen's good though. It's by uh, Sir Stephen Robertson. Sir, sir to you and me. The boss mm-hmm. man. Boss man did it. Okay, that's all good. Music musician is Peter Vitri and Leos Palanki. Okay, I couldn't find. A lot of instructions for this at all. It seems to be one of those games that's skirted, and thankfully, actually, kept below the surface <laughs> and, and an ironic twist. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's a submarine simulator, essentially, um, or tries to be. Uh-huh. Um, what it is actually is really horrible. And then I couldn't find much in the way of instructions, so I just sort of found some key, basic key codes for a Spectrum version. This is from the Spectrum to see if that would help. It didn't really. So I played what I could. It's a budget submarine simulation game. Those words are not good in that sequence. (laughs) Um, We've already had fairly extraordinary submarine simulators. Now, whether you liked them or not is irrelevant, but, you know, we've had the big one, the Microprose one. So let alone the the others that we've had as well. Yeah, we had that Red October one. That was really good. Red October and stuff like that. That's what I mean. So we've had them. So you're not going to win any hearts and minds coming in with a budget submarine simulator it's also converted from the spectrum that is also not a good thing as we know spectrum simulations convert to the c64 do not end well um it also has spectrum like high res that's bad that's not good is it that's bad and it features terribly slow vectors that are meant to be your movements that is really bad that stinks and it also has an array of complex keyboard controls ding 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 that's you're out that's it you're done you're out you're out you're done You've reached the pinnacle. If this was Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you've just got to the top of the pyramid. We're done. (laughs) (laughs) The game, quote unquote, window is indeed a window in the middle of the screen. Mm -hmm. Adrian, they thickened the borders of the C64. They thickened them. They made them thicker. That's the opposite of what demo groups have been doing for years. The object of it, cracking the key to cracking the C64 was to get rid of those side borders, not make them thicker. Don't make the borders (laughs) more dense. Don't do that. You can't you can't make C64 borders thicker. That's just rotten. Well, they did. Um, but they did that. So you've got thick black borders, and then you've got this high-res view, which, well, it's lifted straight out of a Spectrum in 1987, so it looks like it. Yep. Top is the view out of the window, I guess. I think it's the periscope, I think. Below that, there are three sections. Left is the weapons and damage tactical view. Middle is the upper coordinates. Lower, your, lower below that is your, just slightly below that, is your radar, which goes round and round and round like a radar do. Um, and to the right is your fuel, battery, power, speed. Doesn't matter, because I defy anyone to start this and feel like much of anything is actually happening. I don't know much about submarines, but I imagine they're quite loud when their engines are switching on. I mean, they're designed to be silent, obviously, in context of what they are. But nothing much happens in this at all. So I you know, I pressed the right keys in the right combination. Uh, the first thing I did was immediately smash into my docking, do- the docks area, because I went forwards. So I just crashed instantly. I was like, dead, crash. So, all right, okay. Note to self, reverse out. (laughs) So I was like, 
engines in reverse then. So imagine this, this submarine <laughs> is reversing. <laughs> so I reversed out, but slowly, judded and slowly maneuvered to the right. And then I think started to move towards what looked like a blob. That was the game. That was it. That's that was the game. That was all the that's all the game presented to me. I, I, I could make no more or less of it than that. There is a goal to this game, I think, as well. I think you've got to you know do stuff, but I couldn't get it to do much of anything. Um, I think you have to complete a series of missions as well. I'm guessing that's all explained in the manual, which I didn't have. Anyway, the idea of the game aside, as it does really doesn't matter. You're meant to be controlling a submarine, but it's not like that though. This is a sludge speed clump around a bicolor blue sky versus water deal with an array of meaningless dials, indicators and such, all controlled by a load of commands that generally feel worthless. You probably worked okay on the Spectrum, but because everything's one colour on there, but it's nothing but an utter waste of time on the C64. Represent Reprehensible arsewipe, this. Um, <laughs> you'd never have bought this yourself, would you? This is definitely one of those granny anti but we've, we've alluded to these loads of t- over time, but this is definitely one of them. This is a granny anti birthday gift that you might have been given and you had to feign you were happy about. No good can come from playing this. You're better off buying a plastic submarine and playing with that in the bath. I had one that used to surface and then dive into the bathwater when you put like a little bicarb tablet in it. It was bloody brilliant. And it was way better than this. Oh, do yourself a favour. If you did get a copy of the game and you've still got it in your collection, don't flush it down the toilet. Play submarines with it that way. Just don't keep hold of it. It's a turd and it will stain your hands brown. So I didn't like it at all. There's nothing, there's nothing redeeming about this. On a sea of great exploration games, submarine games, whether you like them or not, many of these na- naval games that we played, this is a budget fiasco and a waste of money and time and it's starting to look a little bit like desperation around some of these releases on the 64 anyone would think that the time might be running out for the machine the way they're releasing all this god-awful crap what did you think <laughs> do you know this made me this game made me laugh it has a this is the first commodore 64 game that has a quit to desktop option <laughs> It, it has a, the best thing about it. <laughs> it has a quit. It has a quit, which, re, you know, SYS 64738, was it, or whatever? Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. If I remember rightly. Reset, yeah. Yeah. So it, how's that? When you die, it says, do you want to go back to the menu or, or quit the game? And if you quit the game, it just resets back to the, to the Commodore 64 <laughs> main screen. It's like they knew it was bloody awful. It's honourable. No game, no game that I've seen in the C64 has had that. I've not seen that in any no. single game we've I mean, looked at. And even with the Pink Panther, you could just go off to an island and sit and have a cocktail. True, yeah. I mean, I wish they gave me the option to reset the machine, but you know, whatever. <laughs> anyway, oh, it's a bland, boring, two-year-late... This came out in 1987 on the Spectrum and the Amstrad. It did, yeah. Two-year-late conversion... Well, it's not late, it's pointless. Conversion of the Spectrum and Amstrad that should have stayed there. There's no place on the C64 at this point in time. Nope. It's got a tune from 1983 um, yep. and graphics that resembles bad Spectrum stuff. And like you said, it thickened the border. <laughs> Don't <laughs> thicken the border on a 64. <laughs> no, this is a pointless endeavour. I just kept crashing into nothing and then uh, and then it asking me to reset the machine or go back to the menu for more of this horror. I was happy to see the, you know, the Commodore 64... The, the, the non-thick borders. <laughs> 38,000 bytes free screen. So, oh, it's just like, ah, oh, blueness, lovely. It's better, I mean, that was by blue as well, you know, the blue the Commodore logo screen. But it looked more like the ocean than this crap. <laughs> it does. Uh, this was terrible. I Shocking. mean, just, no, just don't. Three quid for this. Nope. Uh, just leave it where it sank. Yeah, exactly. Two years prior. Yes. I've got nothing more to say about it. Awful. Pointless, terrible, terrible thing. Anyway, there we go. That's Ocean Conqueror. Let's speak no more of it. Let's go on to our last one for this episode. Put fanfare in here. (laughs) 
It's the thousandth game. Woo! One thousand games don't, don't gone anyway, so I think I, I basically put a list of them in Excel and put this lot in, and then this was in row one thousand. So I'm presuming game this, is, 1, this is it. And here's Bip, our Titan mascot. <laughs> <laughs> President of Titan Condoms. Congratulations, young man. You are our one billionth customer. Pictures. Tell me, George, how long have you been using our fine Titan products? You'll be a household name, George. Just like Bip, our Titan mascot. Pictures. Pictures. Hi, George. Hi, everybody. Hey, George, will you autograph a box for me? <laughs> Get used to that, George. <laughs> <laughs> Take it easy there, George. <laughs> so what what is our thousandth game? Gaplus. Okay. I don't know how you pronounce it. Is it Gaplus? 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 Yeah. Gaplus, yeah. Gaplus. Anyway, Gaplus. Two quid. We have a budget port of a nineteen eighty-four Namco game. Gaplus. It is the third installment in the Galaxians series of games. Uh, yes. Following on from the second game, Gallagher. So we had Galactians, Gallagher, then Gaplus. Weird, weird, weird name. As noted, it was re- released originally in arcades in 1984 and was the only other game, aside from Foson, to run on the Namco Foson hardware. There you go. Don't know what that was, but it's the only other game to do it. This game seems to have been somewhat forgotten, really. It's weird, sort of looking about what this was. Because like most of these old games, ported all over the place. This was only ever ported to the C64 wasn't ported to any other 8-bit machine. Nowhere else had it. Some four years later, so yeah, so it was ported to the C64 four years after it was released. Sometime in the 90s, it was ported to the PC-98 in Japan, which was some kind of, you know, random PC that was really big in Japan. Then it was put onto mobile phones. And then finally, um, it got a release on the Wii and some sort of collection. And then it got a demastered version in 2020 as a bonus game for the release of Namco Museum Archives Volume 2 compilation, which came to the Switch, Xbox, and PS4. So it was like a hidden extra game, like an original game. But back then, because it was was a collection of NES games, but it never came out for the NES, so they did a NES version on this compilation. Yeah, what? That's what what I can make out anyway. But back then, if you wanted a version of Gaplus to play at home, this budget port for the C64 was your only way of doing it. That's as far as I can make out. That's, I was digging around for ages wow. trying to, because I, I didn't quite think that was right. So I was digging about for a while, but that's all I could find. So where did this version come courtesy of Mastertronic? Do you know, I, I, what happened? I don't know. They, they seem to have gone to town on the story here, because I'm going to read this out straight from the box. So get ready for this. The fabric of space-time is under threat from invading aliens. The onslaught is relentless. No one knows where the insectoid alien forces are coming from. They've been called the Gaplus after the first cargo ship that disappeared as a result of alien activity. But whatever they are, or wherever they come from, it's clear that something has to be done, and done quickly. Early warp drive experimenters discovered that space-time is divided into a complex network of parsecs, linked together via portals in multidimensional space. A spaceship, equipped with a particle dissolution drive, can enter the space-time network and hop from parsec to parsec, leaving the network at a point close to its required destination. All very well and dandy, until the aliens started arriving. Not only are the aggressive intruders attacking harmless cargo ships and destroying non-aggressive travellers, their very presence in a parsec disrupts the fabric of space-time. The entire universe is in danger of being destabilised if something isn't done about the gapless, and it needs to be done quickly, which is where you come in. A fleet of fighters has been assembled to clear space-time of the invaders. Each fighter pilot was allocated 50 parsecs to clear, and the fleet set off into space, Time to begin the largest mopping up operation in the history of the universe. You are one of these pilots, 
and your mission is about to start at Parsec 1. There you go. Someone really thought about that, didn't they? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was a heavy, heavy dosage. (laughs) I mean, how do you get that from a... From this game, the insectoid that goes on, alien elimination, the insectoid gapless fighter craft warp into the parsec you are attempting to clear. If you don't destroy them as they arrive, these drones start building up into a formation, awaiting the arrival of the gapless queen before mounting a concerted attack on your craft. <laughs> Who knew that the Galaxian series of games was so in-depth? I didn't. I just thought there was Galaxians. Anyway, this version was made Same. by Digital... Yeah, this version was made by Digital Design, who were... Ashley Routledge and David Saunders, Ash and Dave, who I think were ex-demo makers. Um, they worked on CompuNet and things like that. Oh, I did loads of demos, Ash and Dave. Yeah, that's who made this. Before going on to have a long history in the games industry, um, this has also got music by Haroon Tell. So there's a good... Yeah, a, maniacs. Cr- crazy pedigree here for this. It's a really weird release, this. Anyway, if you're not familiar with the Galaxian series of games, they are single-screen shooters in the style of Space Invaders. But the invaders here are much more mobile, swooping down in formations before returning to their pattern, their formation, their sort of stop formation at the top of the screen until dive bombing you again. That's how the Galaxians games work. You are a spacecraft at the bottom, armed with one sort of bullet, and you fire that. And if it hits, you get your bullet back. If not, you've got to wait for it to go off the top. This is a single bullet game. Gaplus, you can fire twice about it. Gaplus follows this kind of pattern with aliens materializing in front of you, swooping around and then heading down, um, heading, sorry, upwards towards the top of the screen, slowly making up a full sort of space invader style formation at the top in gapless however after a certain amount of time a special enemy with a shield craft will appear shoot this and collect it and you can then hoover up enemies in a tractor beam as they come at you and then they will be deployed next to your ship to allow for much more firepower against the enemies because depending on how many you get in there a maximum of four you can have two other ships on either side of your craft which all fire as well so you can have a sort of spread shot five wide which is kind of cool actually it's really kind of a, a nice sort of power up the game itself is split into waves. After every two waves, you get a bonus wave where you need to juggle enemy craft as they come towards you. So if you shoot them once, they bounce up to the screen and sort of come back down again and shoot them again. You've got to keep them sort of juggling, juggling them upwards um, to get higher bonus points. That's quite a bit of fun. As the waves progress, the enemies shoot more. They drop time delay bullets, which kind of hang in air and then fire in three different ways um, and so on and so on. And things get tougher and tougher. They get faster. There's more of them. It's typical arcade fare, really. You get three lives. And once these are gone, it's game over. And if you've done well enough, you get to put your score into the high score table. So it's a very typical 1984 single screen shooter from the Galaxians mold. That's what the game is. And this is a fairly good rendition of the arcade for the most part. Like most arcades, so in the arcade, this was taller than it was wide, but that has gone here. But they do use the whole screen. Uh, So the whole screen is being used for the action. um, And the UI, which just includes the score and the number of lives, resides in the bottom border. So, you know, they haven't squashed it into it. You've got that entire screen. So it's not too bad, actually. It works okay. The number of aliens that attack, well, it's been reduced a bit from the arcade, um, as has their speed. So it makes this feel a little more pedestrian than the frantic nature of the arcade. I did go, but I had a, a blast on the arcade version just for sort of comparison. And, uh, via MAME because I don't think I had ever seen this or played this in the arcade it's very Galaxians like it's just faster and a lot it's got those sort of Galaxian type sound effects but it's so it's faster and, and taller really the design of the aliens though from the arcade has been kept and they're quite cool they look like sort of little insects they're all nicely animated and if you don't shoot them you do end up with quite a lot of them on screen at times so you know, it all runs with a nice parallax star field in the background. And there's no hitches or glitches that I could see. Everything runs pretty smoothly. There's clearly some nice code in the back of this to sort of uh, keep everything on screen, keep it moving at the pace it does. Like I said, it's not quite as fast as the arcade, but it's okay. It's, 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 very, it's playable as for what it is. 
everything from the arcade is here that I can see, just apart from the number of enemies. Um, even down to the music that plays at the start of the fourth level. It's like a little weird musical stab that sort of kicks in, and that's straight out the arcade. Everything's straight out the arcade, including the way that you sort of hoover up things, the bonus levels, everything's there. Um, and the music on the title screen is also a, a solid piece by Mr. Tell as well. I quite liked it. It's good, good tune. Not heard it before, but it was all right. This is a weird release. God knows how it happened. I mean, where the licensing came from or anything like that. So I, I, I have no idea. Look, I, I, if anyone knows how this just got released for the C64 by two demo coders, uh, you know, by Mastertronic, four years after it was came out is an, is an odd thing. But if anyone knows, I would love to hear some more detail on it. Maybe there is something out there, but I couldn't really find much. Maybe there is. But, you know, but as a version of Gapless on home machines, this was by default the best you were going to get back then. And, you know, it's still fairly fun to play now. It's okay. It's one of those Space Invadery Galactians type games that's always kind of fun for a short blast. For two quid, if you wanted some single screen action, I thought this was all right. Decent enough, different enough, and faithful enough to the original to be a, a good, solid Sunday afternoon value proposition. I like this. I thought it was all right. Good little blast. What about you? Yeah, I mean... There's good things to like about this. Strangely, this is at the same Ash and Dave that did. They did quite a lot of demos. Um, famously, um, there was one called Smooth Criminal, which had a, mm. was one of the first demos to use pre-calculated graphics, which is quite good. Um, that actually mentions um, Gapless. As just, it says Gapless has just been released in the scroll text on that. All right. So, But that's back in 1988. Um, and they did a few other demos like that. There's Electric Cafe. They, they, they've got quite a reputation in, in certain demo fields. They've been doing quite a few. So, And they've also, they also come under something called, I think it's Digital Designs or something like that. Yeah, so I don't yeah know this, maybe... is, this is made by Digital Design. That's who, uh, yeah, who so, they, so who that's their sort of game, game dev wing. I guess, because yeah. um, there's an address in Eastbourne on one of the demos where you can, you know, and it says write to us at, and it's got the address for them. So how they came to end up doing this for Mastertronic, who bloody knows, it must have been, you know, somebody bumped into somebody and somebody else. It's a bit weird, this. It's a competently coded thing, though. I mean, goodness me, the, c- the code base, can't really argue with that. There's sprites and stuff moving around all over the place, not a flicker or a glitter or a, mm. you know, really odd sound. There's 23 tr- different track soundtracks in the sound SID file really? for this. Wow. Yeah, well, that's probably sound effects as well, but it's quite a lot. Um, the loading screen for this is uh, a decent image, but it's the um, it's Rob Hubbard's Knucklebusters music on the tape loader, which is oh, really, really weird. Yeah, so when you, when it comes up, it's really odd. It's a very strange release. It feels like almost like there's parts of this that were demos that never got quite released, and so the loader looks like it was a demo because they did a lot of music rip rip demos, and some of those were Hubbard tunes anyway. So mm. the game itself then, competently coded, lots of things moving around, lots to shoot out, plenty of arcade-inspired action and sounds. Graphics were okay for what they were, and the game sort of moved around at a nice pace, I thought. You know, it, it, the whole thing moved around decently, quite hard. Um, not bad for a budget game of this type, um, more more akin to what I'd expect. So, you know, blip, take notes. If you're going to do an arcade game, you know, do one. Don't do one, like, from 1978. Maybe just advance the <laughs> clock a little bit. Yeah. So it was a good, good budget tile. More or less exactly what you'd expect as well. Good music. No idea if it was really for this game originally or not, but it's it's called um, Gapless on um, Haroon Tell's list on HV SIDS. So I'm guessing it was for this, um, but it's credited as Maniacs and Noise in the game. Again, I think what you've got here is competently put together. I'm just not sure really where it sits in the spectrum thing, but isn't it an oddity that's the only version? That's quite a curiosity. So a little bit curious. Mm. Lots of good multiplexing code in there. They were competent programmers, the Ash and Dave. Some of their demos later down the line, you know, they're doing some good stuff in there. So obviously, you know, they're, they're both a decent pair of coders or one coder, graphics, whatever. The game itself it is what it is, isn't it? Um, it's not a bad shooter. It's entertaining enough and it's tricky. And for two quid, not bad value. 71% in Zap. 
That's probably about right. Maybe a bit harsh, actually, given that it's, you know, the only one of its kind. Maybe it's worth a little bit more, you know. They're giving uh, Blip 15%. Seems harsh to give Gapless, you know, only, a, you know, what, 60-odd percent more, really. But I don't know. It is uh, it is what it is. A decent shooter for two quid is what it was. And an afternoon entertainment. Yeah, not bad. And the music's pretty good as well. So all good. A good little package. Quite enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah unusual release when I was looking into it and I didn't know what it was but um and a nice little yeah. surprise for our, our thousandth a thousandth game yeah. to be a C64 exclusive well, that was quite Indeed. nice it's alright unless it wasn't but I'm pretty sure I can't find it maybe games don't have it on anything else apart from something called the J2ME which I don't even know what that is mm. <laughs> never heard of it so uh I don't know anyway anyway there you go Gaplus go rescue those cruisers from time jumping aliens yes yeah, go for it go for it it's good fun Uh, and there we go. That's our game for this week. So what have we looked at? Well, well, Graham, we have looked at Total Eclipse, which was passable. slow. Passable, you know, thematically good, but still suffering from the problems of Driller and Dark Siren and slowness. And yeah. stuff. Blip, Video Classics, which is not a video classic. No, it's um, not. It, it's not. It's the very opposite. That's the antithesis of that. Exploding Fist Plus, which... Pointless. The dubiously named Fist Plus. Never, <laughs> name, never name anything that. Well, you've got just after, what what was it called? Anti-Blipperoid something? And then with yeah. the Fist Plus, it's like, it's a bad combo. The disappointingly dull, when it really shouldn't be, Rambo 3. The mm. disappointingly horrible <laughs> Ocean Conqueror. Utterly, utterly inept. <laughs> Absolutely. And then the surprisingly good fun Gapless at the end there. So next week's games, next week we're looking at in episode 114, we have Micropro Soccer. Ooh. I know that's a biggie, I think. Could be could be interesting. I wonder if that holds up. Uh we've got double dragon. Mm, side scrolling beat em ups, they sometimes well, let's hope we'll My, the repu- its reputation I think is not good. Yeah, it's not great, but okay, well you know, we'll see what we'll it's see. like. Uh International Rugby Simulator. Uh, you see simulator on the end of the word rugby is never a good thing. And it's the well, it's the first rugby game we've looked at, so who knows? Mm, is it rugby or is it rubbish? We'll find out. <laughs> don't know. I don't know. Return of the Jedi. That's the arcade okay, conversion. Okay. Okay. Star Wars: Return of the Jedi. That's yeah, that one. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very tuneful. Okay. <laughs> uh, something called Hellfire Attack, which I've never heard Ooh, of. Never heard of that one. Never heard of that one. And finally, the musculature challenged barbarian of Times of Law is upon us. Is that the one that had uh, he had? <laughs> He had an ass, yeah, six pack on his ass or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> he had an, he had an anal. I was going to say anal six pack. Yeah, God knows how he's managed to get that. Maybe he walks around a lot. He had bottom muscles. His glutes were very powerful. <laughs> Maybe not Brian Jack's powerful, but powerful. No one's glutes are as powerful as Brian Jack's. He can <laughs> remember he could reverse time. Um, but does. who knows? Who knows? Uh, but yeah, so we'll be looking at that lot next week. So uh, that mm. could be an interesting bunch. If you want to support us, I mean, we'll just get it out of the way now. Um, you can do. You can do that financially if you want to go to our Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash zap to the past. And you can go there. You can chuck us a quid or you can go full hog, whole hog and get the £4.50 tier and join our Discord and get episodes early. Ask us questions for us to podcast. Join in when we do crazy stuff, whatever it is and things like that. So if you want to do that, go there and and, uh, that'd be cool. Uh, you can go to kofi.com forward slash that's co-fi.com forward slash that to the past and you can chug us a few quid there if you wish to that's always cool as well but or you know just, just give us a shout on twitter or whatever and things like that so that would all be cool yeah so that's it that's it for this week you got anything you wish to add mr raddings no that's it that's it that's that's it and that's all have those february games warmed you up somewhat no no <laughs> I'm, I'm still reeling from ocean conqueror and 
lip. Yeah, they, oh. were, they were pretty bad. They were pretty yes. bad. Um, so until then, I guess, I have been Adrian Mills. And I have been Graham Raddings. And you have been listening to Zapped to the Past, and we have now covered 1,000 Commodore 64 games, Ooh. which is kind of crazy, but there you go. That's what we've done. And we will see you again next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you, they can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptuther, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Ruddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.